Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And... <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and edit that. Whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, welcome back to another spectacular episode of Comics, motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up guys, this is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight for this very special, very emotional filled Valentine's Day episode. We've got three, count them, three of my fellow fan holes on this Valentine's Day showcase for comics, motherfucker. Do you read them? So everybody go ahead and give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight. Hey, it's Mike. Hey, this is Justin. Hey, guys, this is Tony. And love, exciting and new. Come aboard, villains are fighting you. The love boat. All right. Yeah, so this is this is basically tentatively kind of themed for Valentine's Day. We had wanted to do something like this for a while and sort of kept putting it off, I think. But, you know, we, we kind of gave it the nomiker, you know, superhero girlfriend episode or what have you. So basically the, the mandate, you know, it, it didn't have to be a comic book that you bought off the spinner rack. I know the one I brought tonight was something that I consider a, a spinner rack comic book. But it looks like we're we're kind of going through the decades and stuff. Like, we've got some books from the 80s, we've got a book from the 90s, and then we've got a book from the 2000s. So it looks like we're, we're delving into some sort of romantic stories in superhero comics that kind of traverse the decades and everything. So hopefully this will kind of be fun for everybody to listen to. I guess getting right into it. We are going in chronological order, so that means the buck continues with me because mine is the earliest book because I'm an old fart, and I I was trying to figure out, like, I, I don't know where I got this book from. Anyway, to to cut to the chase, the, the book is in question. It's the second, I guess, maxi-series for The Vision and the Scarlet Witch, and somehow I ended up with a copy of Vision and the Scarlet Witch number five from 1985, which had a cover price of 75 cents. On the cover, you can see there's the blurb where it says, like, in the land of the dead. And so you see, like, all these, like, you know, handbook of the Marvel dead people basically accosting the Scarlet Witch. You've got the character Thorn 
who's basically assaulting her. And then it looks like Heinrich Zemo's there, the Wizard, Miss America, Baron Von Strucker. I think that's supposed to be Baron Von Strucker, but he looks kind of naked. But I don't know who the hell else it could be, so I'm pretty sure it's Baron Von Strucker. And then you've got Dark Phoenix and Wanda's birth mother Magda on the cover there. I, I guess getting back to maybe where I got it before I go into the synopsis is... I it's either it's one of two things like I think since the book I don't know if the book's cover price was 75 cents I'm not sure if it could have been part of this set but my my aunt gave me like this set of comics that she mailed to me and of course it you know a famous story I guess if you listen to a lot of fanholes podcasts but that was the the famous stack of comics that had the Magic Limited series and the Jack of Hearts Limited series in it. So that's that's pretty infamous or famous among the fan holes as far as my, my thoughts and opinions on those two characters. One I'm deeply in love with, the other one I think can go jump off a cliff and has jumped off a cliff and hasn't come back yet so far as I know. So anyway, but I'm guessing maybe I got that issue in that set, but then the... I don't know. The cover price is throwing me. So the only other place I could think of is I maybe I got it in a three pack or something, but I can't, you know, I can't place like what the other other comics would have been in that three pack. You know what I mean? Like, why would it have just been Vision and the Scarlet Witch five and two other random comics? But I'm I'm sure they did stuff like that when they did those three packs. And I was trying to look on eBay to see if I could, I don't know, find any sealed Marvel three packs to kind of, I don't know, back up my theory that maybe it was from a three pack. But that that's kind of why I was saying this is a spinner rack comic, because, you know, I, I did not either wh- whichever way I obtained this. It was not from a comic store, you know, it wasn't a back issue and it wasn't something I went to the comic store on, you know, Wednesday or Thursday or whenever comic day was back then to to pick up the the comic or whatever. And so the title, the official title on the interior is The Others Call It All Hallows' Eve. And this is written by Steve Englehart and penciled by Richard Howell. And, of course, this has one of those cool little interior blurbs that kind of gives you the basics for the comic you're reading, which I kind of liked, so I wrote it down because it's it's easy to read and easy to say and gets everybody on the same page on what the hell we're all talking about. And so that blurb says, He's a synthetic man! She's a mutant sorceress! Once they were outcasts, but now they have each other in a love which can withstand every danger they face! Stan Lee presents Vision and the Scarlet Witch. So that kind of gets and they you on buy board. crime. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I mean, it kind of gets you on board with what the hell the, the book is actually about. And so I kind of I, I semi stole a synopsis from the Marvel Wiki, but I kind of tweaked it so that it's written in English and complete sentences and not run on sentences and kind of you know added important information that was missing from it. So this is kind of stolen, kind of not. But here we go. On Halloween night. Vision and the Scarlet Witch have been invited by their neighbors, Glamour and Illusion, to watch one of their magic shows. But only Vision is in attendance, as Wanda must attend to rites and rituals that can only be performed on this particular holiday evening. 
after making a call to Adelan to inform her brother, Pietro, of her pregnancy, which her brother takes surprisingly well despite his past animosity toward her husband, the robotic Vision, she begins a ritual to contact the spirit of Agatha Harkness. Earlier, Harkness's spirit had appeared to warn Wanda with a cryptic single word, PREPARE. However, the ritual backfires when Wanda gets pulled into the realm of Samhain, where specters of the dead torment her and seek to use the new life created within her to enter the realm of the living. With Wanda in the clutches of the undead, Thorn and his Salem Seven, the spirit of Agatha Harkness appears before the Vision in the middle of Glamour and Illusion's show. While some patrons are disturbed and begin to leave, others dismiss the old woman's giant floating ghostly head as a mere part of the magical act. Meanwhile, Wanda is on the run from the veritable Marvel Handbook of the Dead. She also encounters Magda, her gypsy birth mother, and her adoptive parents, the Wizard and Miss America, before witnessing Agatha Harkness burning at the stake. Glamour? and Illusion cut their show short to follow the Vision home to carry out Harkness's message to destroy the Druid Tome in order to save Wanda. As Vision had already burned the book during a previous Halloween, the task would seem impossible. However, Illusion points out that his power over an object's molecules means that if he has access to even one speck of dust, he can draw the remaining molecules together. Vision can only think of one chance to narrow down the search for the remaining ashes. The costume of one of the possessed children from that night! So he heads out to track down the now young adult woman Holly at the library and convinces her to turn over the costume, which thankfully is unwashed and stored in her attic at home. Then Illusion is able to reform the tomb so that Vision can promptly atomize it with his solar beam. At that moment, Sam Hain has trapped Wanda and is about to complete the ritual to free himself into her world when the destruction of the book causes him to lose form. As free-floating energy, he can still complete the ritual, but Agatha Harkness takes her chance to intervene. She redirects Sam Hain's spirit into her treacherous grandchildren, the Salem Seven. Thus, Wanda and her unborn child are safely reunited with the Vision. The end. And just just to go into my my particular thoughts immediately, which I was trying to convey to the guys before the show started, this is the only issue I've ever read of this miniseries. This issue, even though I read it at a very young and impressionable age, did not inspire me to seek out more comics with Vision and the Scarlet Witch. In fact, I think this is something that kind of at a young age like i don't know it's like i was frightened of magic and iliana and all that stuff but i liked it and like i i guess i wanted to eventually seek out more stuff when i sought out the new mutants and stuff like that but in this case i think like i guess all the witchcraft and visuals and stuff like the undead and stuff like not not that i was you know I don't know, it, you know, it wasn't something like, oh my gosh, it's like Thriller Night and I'm totally scared or whatever, but it just, I don't know, it, it wasn't anything that really I, I got passionate about or inspired by, so I, I never did seek out any more of this, and and I guess I, I was trying to tell the guys, like, kind of like, I think, I think Scarlet Witch and maybe Tigra were some of the earliest 
Marvel women that I was exposed to that had no no cartoon presence, no no media presence, like to to my knowledge, you know, at that time, I was kind of like, I didn't recognize these characters. They weren't toys. They weren't in any cartoons that I knew about. And I was kind of like, these chicks are scary. You know, like I was kind of like, I don't, I don't know about <laughs> these chicks. Like they, they seem frightening to me. So like, I never really got into it. I, I don't really know what I thought the vision was. Cause there was this guy with a beet red head and a tuxedo. And I was like, I didn't, I don't know if I knew he was a robot when I read this. Like, I didn't know what his whole deal was. And he kind of looked kind of weird to me. Like, I, I think that's why, like, to be honest, like, like in, in some ways, this was maybe one of my first exposures to quote unquote modern Avengers, I guess, in a weird way, you know, like not, not like a masterwork or, or not like, you know, the, the kind of, books we've discussed previously with like Dr. Druid and Thor and She-Hulk and Black Knight and stuff like that. So it's like, I, I guess I kind of understand why I was never, you know, like I, I think my first impressions, you know, of some of those early Marvel things were almost a, a turnoff. So I wasn't, I wasn't super enthralled with it, but the the reason why I thought of this was because we were talking about like girlfriends and, you know, in this case, I guess they're married, but I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those kind of, stories that you know it it, it kind of reminds me of like when when they tried to have peter and mj you know break off from ben riley as the clone and like go off to live somewhere and have a happy existence but then you know superhero hijinks keeps getting in the way of their their domestic bliss i guess and like it, it, it's like this this probably wishes it was the Mr. Miracle comic from DC that I was reading in like 1987, 88, but isn't like, I, I think, well, <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe that's just my own personal opinion, but like, that's, that's kind of what I, I think of this. And like, I, I mean, I know the TV series didn't exist when this comic came out, but like the end of it where they're trying to like find all the pieces of this, you know, all the dust from this fucking book to reassemble it so they can like wipe out some, you know, demon from, from the realm of Sam Hain, basically. Like, it reminds me of the TV show Supernatural, like where like Sam and Dean would have to like, I don't know, collect all the bones of some guy so the ghost goes away or whatever. And then, you know, give him a proper burial, you know, set him on fire or cremated or whatever. And like, that's kind of, what I thought of this, like where it's, it's kind of like, you know, it, it's got that kind of, I don't know. It's weird. It's like, it's like it, it, it tries to play like it's colorful and super heroic, but it's got a lot of kind of witchcraft and supernatural stuff and kind of stuff that, you know, maybe as a kid, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know about this, you know, <laughs> like that, that was kind of my, my take on it. And then I, I guess we can get into some other stuff, but I guess, you know, I, I've still got some other notes, but I, I just kind of wanted to open it up to you guys. Like, what was your, like, had you read this before? Is this, is this something you've, you know, you're reading for the first time? Like, what are your first impressions? Like, I guess maybe I'll start with Justin. Cause I, I, I'm, I'm harboring a guess that, that he kind of agrees with me that this isn't his cup of tea, but I'll, I'll let him speak for himself. Yeah, I, I have read this before, and to be honest, I don't really care for this one. This is basically the second volume because, you know, there was a previous Vision and Scarlet Witch series, like in 82, I think, and it was just like a four-issue series, and 
it it dealt with like some continuity stuff, you know, like it brought in Grim Reaper and the whole Magneto thing, like being their father. You know, it was dealing with like Wizard and Miss America because for a long time, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver thought that was their parents. But, you know, it's like, oh, we find out it's actually Magneto. I, I thought that was a really great miniseries. But this one, you know, this one is just this one is like 12 issues, but it's all over the place. I mean, you've got. You know, you've got this issue, which deals with, you know, mystical stuff, which I usually enjoy, but I don't. And then you've got, like, I think, like, Spider-Man and Luke Cage show up in an issue, and Enchantress, and, like, there's some stuff going on with the Inhumans and a bunch of other wacky stuff. Like, this this miniseries is just kind of, like, all over the place. It's very kind of scatterbrained, it feels and like I, I didn't really enjoy the the story for this miniseries. I I don't really care for the art either. Like I think I think the first miniseries was penciled by Rick Lenardi, and I really like his artwork. And that's probably you know one of the things I was just like, oh this this miniseries like it's not you know it's not up to snuff you know in terms of like writing and art. I just I just never cared for this one to be honest. I, I think this is definitely a weird story. You know, in a nutshell, if you gave this plot to a movie producer, it's like, okay, a robot and a witch move into a, a suburban place, and they're tormented by her witchcraft past, and they're also going to have babies, even though he's a robot, and they also have magicians who live next door who are actually not magicians but can control molecules. Go. <laughs> it's just like, well, that's a lot to take in. <laughs> I still have a theory that, uh, that uh, glamour and illusion – it's never verified anywhere, but I'm still thinking they're like the Molecule Man and Marsha. I'm just thinking, and they're just like hiding, and they've uh, you know made like different looks for themselves. But that's just a personal theory because they can control molecules. I'm just saying. But anyway, to the main meat of the story, it's kind of hard to get into Vision because he's supposed to have like you know emotions and stuff. But it's not the writing's bad, but it does kind of come off as I am robot with heart now. I go save people because I love. And I'm just like, okay, man, I got you. And the 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 Wanda story, which is really funny because, like, at least for this issue, it should have been called Wanda, like, like uh, Scarlet Witch and Vision. Because Vision, does, you know, he helps save the day. But this is a very Wanda-heavy story. And it is creepy. It is kind of kind of spoopy scary and, and kind of weird. Because she is fighting like the the embodiment of like Halloween and trying to save her unborn you know child and they're twins by the way it's it's a lot to take in it's just crazy it's crazy nutballs one thing I did like though is I love random cameos so seeing guys like Korvac and like you know Egghead and like you know like just just a whole bunch that is supposed to be Egghead right like that's that's the thing I yeah, was gonna ask because yeah. like that's what I assumed okay yeah. okay because it's like it's weird like I I was trying to I basically wrote down everybody who appeared you know in case it came up or whatever but like the Salem Seven like okay just just to get into it. There's only six of them in this issue. You talk about there's a lot of shit going on. Like, they forgot a member of the Salem Seven. Like, they're the Salem Seven because there's seven of them, right? Thorn is one of them, right? Vertigo is one of them. And I think that's the, the black chick whose face you never see. She's just like a, a faceless you know, a shawl well, she's, or whatever running around, right? Yeah, and she said, I, she said her head got blown off too, so. Yeah, and so so that's who that is. Vakum, I think, is the purple ninja-looking guy. Bruticus is the weird lion-looking guy. Reptilla is the 
the weird lady with the, I don't know, reptile hands or whatever the hell it is. And then Hydron, I think, is trying to remember what he looks like. But like, basically, I guess, you know, long and short of it is that's six. He used to like a fish dude with like a water cannon hand. Yeah, yeah. And so like, but that's six. There's there's another member named Gazelle, who's like a chick who kind of looks like, I don't know, like a female version of the Sphinx from... Fantastic Four New Warriors, I guess, kind of. But I'm like, where is she? Like, she's she's never in this book. Like, so she's missing. But meanwhile, there's other, you know, there's other cameos from the, the you know, the current dead, which is ironic because it's like Jean Grey is there, which, right. you know, is funny because I guess later we'll find out that that's not really Jean Grey, you know, because she's in a cocoon or whatever. But at the time, everybody thought, you know, Dark Phoenix was Jean Grey and she was dead, right? You've got Korvac and Dracula. And then I, I wasn't completely convinced that, like, that guy with the specs was Egghead, but that was the only person who I could think of that it was. And then we've got, like, Count Nefaria and Heinrich Zemo and Baron Von Strucker, Crimson Dynamo, and, and then, you know, the rest of the Salem Seven. But, yeah, it is... Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of cool to see those guys. I, I thought Bruticus was the metamorph in Dudicus. He is, he is. <laughs> And he's he's got he's got a cool paint scheme from what I understand. And also we also see Wanda's, you know, adoptive parents, the wizard and Miss America, which they don't get to do anything. They just get to be like, we're useless. Sorry. <laughs> but, you know, it's all for the feels. But I, I'm a sucker for cameos. So I kind of like that. The, the, I mean, and I'll let Mike give his thoughts. I think this was a lot of story for a, a small issue. I think there was like too much. There's even that weird scene with like the young woman, Holly, where, you know, Vigil's like, I'm going to go save my wife. I'll bring this back to you. Thank you. And she's like, Holly, it's Holly vision. And then she's got this like longing look in just a panel with no words. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on there? Another aimless subplot, probably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had read this before. Like, I, I I went through a bunch of, like, Avengers comics, like, long ago. Like, I probably read this, like, 10 years ago or whatever, so I didn't really remember too much about it. I, w- I was kind of surprised, actually, like, like Angleheart wrote this, right? Like, I'm yeah, surprised, yeah. like, Quicksilver wasn't, like, a total douche in it, because he seemed like he was, he was really intent on making Quicksilver, like, a bad guy or something in most of the, like, things he wrote with him in it. I mean, they, they do seem to call him out as being unusually chipper in this issue, like, where it's, like, normally he'd, you know, he'd bust a blood vessel over the fact that Wanda was pregnant with a robot baby or whatever, you know, like, he'd lose well... his crap, right? But... He, he seems pretty jovial in this. I don't, I don't know. I thought he was really kind of snarky about that because, you know, he's like, so, wait, Vision? He's like, you know, what, what, what does he say exactly? He's like, well, Vision's not the father. And she's like, oh, my God, of course he is. Get over yourself. But, I mean, he does have that moment where he's like, genuinely, congratulations, Wanda, to the both of you, you know, or whatever. He, it's like, now I'm going to go trick-or-treat with Luna and get mad when Johnny Storm, like, smacks my wife's <laughs> ass or whatever, you know, like that kind of thing. I, I don't know, like, there's that, you know, panel where you see his face on the computer screen or whatever, like, it just, his smile looks like when you're trying to, like, be happy for someone, but you're not. Okay, okay. I can see that. I can, maybe maybe that's the fault of the art being poor, like, you, you read more into <laughs> yeah. it, and I, I just took it as one for one, like, he was... He was really happy for her, but maybe, maybe like it's more what you're saying. Like he's just he's putting on a good show because it's like, oh, I gotta pretend to be happy for my dippy broad of a sister who's shacked <laughs> up with some robot. You know, it's like, oh, <laughs> wonderful, Wanda, you have a baby. That's terrific. 
Let me go trick or treat with Luna, and why don't you tell why don't you tell Magnus next, our father? I'm sure he'll love to hear the news, you know, like that kind of thing. But yeah, I, it's weird. I was I was kind of looking at the context for when this came out. It's like Magneto had his big white M and was on trial at the time. I think when this mm-hmm. came out, and I think they were. They had just left the Avengers, but I think they were like hanging out with the West Coast Avengers for a little bit during this. So I, I was just trying to give a, you know, like a, some context to like what was going on. And I don't think like the Inhumans didn't have an ongoing title. So I, I'm thinking like Quicksilver and Luna would just show up in like Fantastic Four, or the yeah. Avengers or something like that. But I, I don't have a real frame of reference for like, you know, obviously like Quicksilver wasn't as big of a douche as he becomes like after house of M or whatever, but like, you know, he was still kind of like that, that jerk type character, right? Is this, this is the series where crystal cheats on him with like a yeah. travel agent yeah. or something, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. like, I guess that comes later, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like I, 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 I never really liked this series either. And it's funny, like you mentioned about the art where it's fun. If you did, if you showed pages from the first vision in Scarlet, Witch mini that Justin mentioned and showed a page from this and like without context to someone, they'd probably think this one was older. Like the other one had like more, I guess, more like quote unquote modern like style yeah. art, I'd say. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally see that. I mean, even the storytelling in some weird way, like there there's something about this that feels kind of sixties ish. Yeah, feels a little older somehow. And I don't know how to quantify that. Like that's it's just it's just maybe because of the combination of so much stuff going on and the art style and, and you know I don't know, like, yeah, but it does definitely seem like, in other words, that's, that's why I was trying to give myself a context. And I'm just kind of like, wait a minute, like this, this came out like when X-Men 200 was coming out, like this doesn't seem like a book that is a contemporary of X-Men 200, but it is, right. you know, like that, that's what, that's what feels weird to me about it. It's like, it seems like it should be older than X-Men 200, but it's not like that's. That's the best way I can sort of verbalize this, it. This is like when like Daredevil was like dating Elektra and shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I will say this, though. Wanda does get my vote for worst potential mother of the world because, okay, she has these moments where she's like, I must protect my baby. And like, you know, this unborn life, life is meaning. Life is, you know, the, the, the you know, love and all this crap, you know, all, all the standard cliches. And that's great. She's, she's going to be a mother. But she also opened a portal to hell, and it was her fault she got <laughs> sucked in. That's what I was thinking. I, was like, <laughs> I, I think maybe she watched a little too much Mary Tyler Moore or something. You know, <laughs> she's like, "You're gonna make it after all." She's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna make it now. Let me like, you know, do this little spell and like summon Satan, and everything will be it's okay." Like after she does that little dance, it's like like clawed hands come up from the ground and like drag her down, like ah, like. Vision, Vision's like Lucy. I told you we got out of the house. <laughs> That's I was thinking that. I was like, <laughs> so we don't do this. So we don't do this magic, Lucy. <laughs> He's like I got to learn you a lesson, Wanda. <laughs> Lucy, I tell you, I cannot go to the hell dimension anymore. Uh, I'm going to go like, play my bundles. Like, but Vision, like, what about Mephisto? Like, he's just my drummer from the club, like, in disguise. Like, we just did it to learn you a lesson. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, Bill, are we ready? 
Sure, Paul. Oh, wait. Be right back. I need my Avengers omnibus. Uh, where did I put that thing? While Bill looks for that, let me tell you about our new endeavor. Two True Freaks has grown, and Back to the Bins is growing with it. I, Paul Spataro, along with Bill Robinson and Scott Gardner... Just say his name three times in an email, and he'll appear in your show. Hey, how's it going? Ah, sorry, sorry. I forgot I had a Scott Gardner life model decoy in here. Be right there. Ow! Ow, who put Cap's shield there? <laughs> anyway, we're looking to showcase various characters, storylines, issues, or whatever strikes our fancy from the world of the Avengers. Hey, Ben, move that funny-looking hammer, would you? It's, it's on that book, and I can't move it. Dad, where do you want it? Uh, over there somewhere. No! no! Watch out for the repulsor! No! Oh! Ah! Ah! Don't tell your mother. We like to call it Avengers Spotlight. I thought it was going to be called Old Avengers Never Die. They just get reassembled and sent to another Earth. What? Too wordy? Who knows what we'll cover and who might stop by. So join us for the Avengers Spotlight, where we'll look at Earth's greatest heroes and some of comics' greatest stories, such as the Korvac Saga, Acts of Vengeance, the Kree Skrull War, and, oh, for the love of Christ, who the hell put the Celestial Madonna Saga on this list? Huh. I found a use for that life model decoy after all. Okay, found it. We ready? <sighs> hey, wait a minute. This is the Book of the Vashanti. Forget it. See you soon, everybody. My favorite Avengers are D-Man and Green Lantern. Say goodnight, Scott. Goodnight, Scott. All right, well, that that probably does it for good old Vision and the Scarlet Witch, issue number five. Why don't we Why don't we move on to the next one, which is Tony's book? So why don't you Why don't you tell us what you brought, Tony, and and you know go into the synopsis, and then we can talk about it for a little bit. All right. Well, I'm not doing myself any favors as far as my growing legend as the guy who always picks Justice League International or Justice League Europe because pick it Justice League America, number 28 from the Giffen de Mateus era. This is issue 28. Of course, Giffen and de Mateus are doing the plot and the story. We've got Ty Templeton doing the bookends for the art and McCone. I think it's, uh, is it Kevin McCone? I don't know this artist very well. So, I think it's Mike. Mike. He's McCone. doing a lot of the heavy lifting for the meat of the art. And this is Guy Gardner and Ice, Ice Maiden, going on their first date. And wacky hijinks ensue. This is a standalone story, but there is kind of a bookend part of it. We, we start off with Beatrice Fire, or at this point, she's known as Green Flame. And she's been bedridden because she got exposed to a gene, basically bomb, I guess. <laughs> I believe this is after Panic in the Sky, wasn't it? No, Invasion. Invasion. Invasion, okay, yeah. And she is she is having trouble with her powers. Oberon checks in on her. And, you know, they're just having kind of a back and forth to how she wants to be back on the team and everything. And she's ready to go out there. And she's not being incredibly subtle about flirting with Oberon, who, if you don't know who that is, listeners, he's basically a very short mentor-type figure for Mr. Miracle, Scott Free. You know, he's like kind of like his assistant mentor. You know, he's, he's, you know, he's like his father figure in a way, even though there is high father, but you know what I'm saying. Anyway, but she's hitting on him, and it's like this short little old midget guy, and it's kind of weird. But anyway, that's not the bulk of the story. We then go to Guy Gardner, and he is in full dick face mode, this this issue. He is swaggering macho jerk, basically. He is doing good, though, in, in a way, in his own way. He's demolishing this derelict building. He equips that he was nice enough to get the lowlifes out of the building. 
And you think that they're like maybe just homeless, but no, on the news it is shown that there was like possible drug and illegal activity going on within. within. So he's doing good in his own way, I guess. <laughs> Soon enough, he is confronted by ICE in the JLA embassy. This is shortly after Justice League stopped being just Justice League and became Justice League America. And they're kind of having a back and forth. And the guy is just full of confidence. He's like, you know, you don't know me that well. There's somebody underneath all these, like, you know, I've got layers, you know. It's like, why don't we go on a date? And I see it more as a challenge instead of any kind of romantic thing. So she says, yes, flame, green flame. I'm just going to call her fire. I'm just going to call her ice. I'm just going to use their their more known names. Get, in, get into it a little bit. You know, fire's like, he's a pig. Don't go out with him. And ice is like, I think there is something there. And if there's not, I'll just pound the crap out of him. And even Oberon is like, you know, she's a grown girl, you know, she, she's an ice queen. Well, ice princess, she can handle her own. Guy Gardner, smooth guy in the world, he decides to take her to a skin flick <laughs> in a really seedy part of town. She's immediately disgusted by this. Little do they know that skin flick, the proprietor, is a villain who was once known as the Black Hand, who actually became kind of a big deal in the 2000s. But at this point, he's pretty much a mort. He, he got his ass handed to him by Green Lantern and Hal Jordan a lot of times. And he's actually got superhero phobia. He's scared. He doesn't like superheroes. He thinks the Green Lantern is already after him. And when he gets word that Guy Gardner and Ice are in his building, especially Guy Gardner, who is a known Green Lantern, he kind of flips his shit. And even though they don't know he's there, he runs down there and confronts them after Ice throws Guy on his ass. He's all in full supervillain regalia. Guy makes fun of him. He doesn't even know who this guy is. But he does drop the unfortunate comment that, that Guy Gardner is no Hal Jordan. This, of course, makes Guy mad. He punches him through a wall. Ice and Guy go back at it, and here comes Black Hand again, determined to prove that he's a badass. He whips out, which, honestly, <laughs> I'm not really familiar with the old Black Hand. I'm more familiar with him from, like, Blackest Night. It looks kind of like a dildo or a vibrator. <laughs> it's like, what? think of it this way. Like, the old Black Hand was kind of like a Green Lantern, and what the device is supposed to do is, like, shoot out this black Green Lantern light, essentially. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it like, would yeah. shoot these black constructs or whatever. But in this case, obviously, it's like what a metaphor for his impotence or something because obviously his, yeah. his 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 doohickey does not work yeah it it, 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 it he goes and, and classic Demetrius, you know and giffen style guy gardner even makes the noise of his mouth is that all you got and it's to the point where even ice feels bad for the guy she's like he is obviously disturbed he is not a villain i mean he dressing like, he's dressed like one but he can't handle like taking on a green lantern um and guy actually agrees you know like He's seen his quote-unquote power, and he's like, no, you're pathetic. Let's just let's just go. So they're arguing on the way home, and Black Hand has had it. He, he has had a mental break. He goes to one of his goons, grabs a gun off him, and then, like, even his, his henchman is like, dude, you, like, don't do guns. He's like, I don't care, you know, and, like, he even blah ha ha as he's running down the street, and he takes a shot at Guy Gardner. Thankfully, he's, he's deranged, and his aim's not that good, so it just whizzes his hair. Then Guy proceeds to beat the ever-living crap out of him. <laughs> Even as poor Black Hand protests that he is back to his senses and just don't hurt him, you know, just I give up, I surrender, he still clonks him. So later at the embassy, we have Guy, Fire, and Ice kind of going back and forth and stuff, and Ice is just like, I, I don't like him, screw him, he's a piece of crap. And Beatrice, Fire, is, you know, like, yeah, you, you did a good job, you know, you're proud of yourself and everything like that. And Guy, ever this weird, optimistic asshole, is like, 
yeah, she wants me. She loves me. And then we end with the, the bookend of Fire and Oberon talking. And Barda comes in, Big Barda. She's going to help train Fire with her new powers or whatever's going on with her. And we do get a cliffhanger with Barda in a panel and off screen. Beatrice is, I guess, on the, the uh, roof. You just hear a foosh and this big green light coming from her. That's not the important part. The important part is for Valentine's Day, we have Ice and Guy, who actually, no spoilers, do become a thing at some point. But this is where it all started, and it started horribly. <laughs> so what did you guys think of this? I thought it was it was a great bad first date. I'm probably the most unfamiliar with this, but... Like man, like like I knew that they became they become a couple at some point, but like I didn't realize like how much of a like scum bucket like Guy Gardner was. Like I knew he was a jerk, but like in this issue, he's he's really a kind of a like total douchebag and like scumbag, and like I was like, wow, okay. Like I I knew he like I I always like kind of compared him to like. Uh, like uh, when I characters that I'm not as familiar with from like even like DC and stuff, I try to find a Marvel equivalent to them. And I guess Guy Gardner's like Marvel equivalent is like US agent. And like, cause he was like for, you know, West coast Avengers, he was like the jerk guy. who was always like, you know, getting in Hawkeye's face and like being a jerk to everyone and all that. But like U.S. agent had, like, morals and stuff, and he was, like, a really, like, morally upright guy. Like, I, I had no idea Guy Gardner was such a, like, like sleazeball, basically, until I read this. I think I think people sometimes take issue, like, depending on, you know, you know how you said how you came to, like, Flash Thompson? Depending on, like, what issue you read and what era you look at Flash Thompson, that basically shapes your... You know, if it's like, yeah. if somebody's on the pro side or the con side of Flash Thompson, like your first impressions and sort of how you view him, it's like if you, if you show up to the party when Flash Thompson's a, a drunk driving alcoholic, then of course you're like, oh, Flash Thompson's a scumbag, you know, but then if you show up to the party when he's like, you know, a, a Vietnam vet and, and he's taking care of, you know, Shashan or whatever, then you're like, hey, he's, you know, he's a pretty cool guy and he's teaching kids to play basketball in gym and he's, he's Peter's bud and, and all that kind of stuff. So like, depending on when you come to it, you know, and it's like, I, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I see what you're saying. Like for me, I think mainly in, in these comics, it's mainly played for laughs. Like, I don't think you're supposed to think about his moral character that much because he's so schizophrenic in this. I think part of it is they're just coming off of him being knocked on the head. Yeah. Like super, super sweet and nice in the comics for the gag because it's like when he first shows up he's kind of arrogant kind of you know a prick and he thinks he should be in charge and then batman lays him out and when he wakes up from being laid out he conks his head again and then after that for like the next year and a half he's like oh mr batman like it's so great that you're like in charge and stuff you know and he's very kind of gosh golly g willikers so like when he first meets ice he's like that and like now it's almost like he's trying to overcompensate where he's like i was a total putz when i when i first met this hot chick well now i'm gonna show her like what a cool dude i am and he's like way overcompensating and i think i don't know for 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 me i think it's not that like i think guy gardner does have morals but i think when you when you view him in this particular context, like you, you probably 
there's not a lot of layers per se in this issue. Whereas I think if you read other books and, and see where he came from, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like if you read old issues of Green Lantern and see like how he was engaged to this chick and then like, they thought he died and Hal Jordan kind of was comforting his girlfriend and ends up marrying her almost like you're like, dude, I get why Guy Gardner like teamed up with General Zod and wanted to fucking kill Hal Jordan because Hal Jordan stole his goddamn girlfriend. You know what I mean? Like, like if you look at things from his perspective, like, like you sort of get like certain things. And like the other thing too is like a lot of this stuff makes me laugh my ass off because he's so unfiltered where he's like walking her down the street and he's kind of like, it's cool that like, you know, it's like, we don't need to take the subway, babe. Like, you know, you need to walk off some of that thigh cheese, you know? And it's just like, <laughs> it's like, who says that? But it's like, it's like, but it's hilarious that he's like, he's that unfiltered, you know, like in the context of the story, like, like those are some of the moments that just, sort of make me laugh my ass off. So, I mean, I, I guess I view it in that context. Like, I, I don't I don't take it super seriously in terms of things like like moral character or anything like that. Yeah, and it's not like Ice is a is a shrieking violent who th- violent who thinks that he's so cool now because he's a badass. He's like, you know, you're a pig, you suck. I do like when he's like, come on, you wanted to take a pop at him too. Like you you know you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It cracks me up. Or like when like like she kicks his ass out of theater. He's like, how would you ever think that like you know I could watch that? And she was like, thought if you watched it a little bit more, you would get into it. <laughs> you, you you know what's funny about that is like she says she thinks they're going to see three men and a baby, but they're going to see like a, the porn version of it, which is like three men and a babe. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like I mean I think it's hilarious and. I actually like asshole guy Gardner just because what one of his defining traits is in, especially in jail, IA, whatever you want to call it, the Giffen, you know, run, he, he does have more than a few times where he, he really does run in and save the day. Cause he is one of the most powerful members and he does have those moments where you're like, Oh, he actually is a badass. And then the next panel, he'll tell you how badass he is. Cause he just came in and saved the day, but still. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, I think there is, I mean, I, I don't think Mike is, is inaccurate in comparing him to somebody like John Walker. I mean, I think, I think there's contexts for John Walker just being kind of like a low life jerk, but there's probably also contexts where he comes through in a pinch and you see like, you know, the, the, the heart, you know, to, to use a cliche, you know, you see the heart of gold against the gruff, exterior type thing and I, I i don't think that is uh an unreasonable comparison that you've made but again i can see where mike's coming from too in the sense that i don't think there's an issue of john walker where he takes you know i, I don't know like like mockingbird for a night on the town and then they go to like you know see slut factory 17 or you know whatever ridiculous you know movie in a porn district or whatever i mean that i i, I think part of that is the fact that it's it's written by you know a, a a team of of writers where they're they're basically taking the character to the extreme you know like they're basically it's it's almost to the point where it's almost satirical where you can't i mean you you either have they, to they laugh at so it so nice for a year they have to make him the worst for now yeah right right it's it's almost like the mitzelflick thing where he's like at the end of alan moore's story where he's like you know i've been kind of like the kitschy kooky like fifth dimensional imp it's like no i'm just gonna be evil for a hundred years and you know fuck people up the ass for a hundred years i'm gonna be a real real evil son of a bitch because because i'm bored with being 
you know, the, the guy I was before. And, and it's kind of like that where it is, it, it, it's so satirical, like that you, you know, and it's so extreme, you know, and I think, I think it's purposely done, you know, like where, you know, if you, if you thought about it too much, it might piss you off. Do you know what I mean? Like if you were either a fan of the character or even if you, you know, e- even if you looked at things, you know, without getting too hyper political, you know, you, you can, you can see, you know, Ronald Reagan's name dropped and obviously he's, he's a hero to Guy Gardner and the fact that they're painting him like this, kind of arrogant, you know, twat reveals their own political leanings, right? So, like, you've got that in the backdrop, and if you think about it too much, you could kind of, you know, go, oh, well, that's just because, you know, they have a certain attitude about it, and, you know, they're they're basically portraying the only, you know, quote-unquote right-wing guy in the whole book as a doofus, you know? But at the same time, it's like, I think for me, I, I mean, it's kind of like when I watch the dub of Shin-Chan or when you're watching Family Ties and everybody loves Alex P. Keaton. Like, I almost kind of embrace that where it's just like, dude, like, I laugh my ass off where he's like, you know, Ronnie, you know, he's like, he's like, dude, like, uh, uh, Ronnie's too soft. And that's, that's my, that's my weak point too. I get too soft on these guys. You know, it's yeah. just like one of those things where you just have to sit back and kind of yuck it up. Yeah, he mentions like evacuated abilities, like yeah. <laughs> you know, otherwise it'll drive you nuts. But but for me, I mean, I I enjoy it. You know, regardless, because I, I I think mainly because I was reading these, you know, when I was young and growing up and stuff like that. And I think I I don't know if I was buying these because I think maybe by this point I know I've talked about this before, but I think by this point the the buddy of mine who got really hooked on Wally West Flash had started buying all the sort of related Justice League books because Wally was in Justice League Europe. And so it it almost kind of, you know, snowballed into all these other books and stuff. So I think by this point, I was probably just reading Justice League America and and Europe books that he was grabbing off the stands. And I only occasionally picked up the books every so often because I know I was reading this pretty heavily around this era, like in the 20s. But then I I probably fell off the wagon for a little bit and paid attention to some other books and then came back to it, you know, later down the road. Guy really does like ice. He really does, you know, want to be with her. And there is there is stories later on that show that he does actually have feelings for her. So there there is a the, the, a caveat of this maybe just too much of a machismo thing where he's like trying to be a badass, but he knows if he like shows weakness around, you know, ice people think that his bravado is going to be taken down. So he's like, I just got to be on all the time, you know? Yeah. Like you got, you guys explained it good. Like I, I, I like, this is just an era for the character. Like I, 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 my impression of Guy Gardner was always, yeah, he was like the jerk with the heart of gold, but like, I only saw like the jerk part of him in this (laughs) issue basically. So yeah, no, you guys explained it well. And what, what about you, Justin? Did you enjoy this issue or not so much? Um, I guess I'm on Mike's side, so I guess this is like divided the fan holes. We've drawn our civil war battle. Civil lines. war. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had not read this before. So I you know, it it was interesting to read something from an era that I have not read a lot of you know, Justice League comics. But I'm not the biggest fan of Guy Gardner. I never have been, and I never will be. So that has this going against it. Like I just, I just never liked the character at all. I mean, I, you know, kind of like what Mike said. You guys have explained the character well, and you know, I get it. And it is very similar to the whole Flash Thompson thing. 
you know, I understand that, but I just, I just never cared for Guy Gardner. He just doesn't interest or do anything for me as a character. Can I, can I ask you, can I ask you a weird question? Like, like I get that you don't like Guy Gardner. Like I kind of guessed that maybe you would go into this on, on this episode, but like, I guess what I'm wondering is since they, like, I guess since the writers characterize him the way they do in this series, like, I, I know you said you don't have as much experience reading some of these, but even just being exposed to this issue, like, you still don't like the issue or you or or it is can you sort of divide the the issue itself and the story like you may not like Guy Gardner, but can you read this issue and kind of enjoy it from the sense that you're like ah ha ha stupid guy gardener like yeah yeah okay yeah, i can do that okay. totally yeah okay i mean i mean you know it's not totally unenjoyable comic like it is funny you know this guy who's a total jerk and completely you know full of it is taking this chick to you know a, an adult film but what i thought was kind of interesting or maybe telling is that you know when he's basically saying you know oh you don't you don't know you don't know me like there's you know there's more to me than you think and she kind of looks at him and she's like all right and he has this fate he has this look on his face he's just like oh what like that worked and, you know he totally he totally did not expect <laughs> that to work so now you know now he's just like okay yeah. that worked uh so what are we gonna do and then in his mind he's like oh let's go see a nudie flick it's like okay like well, you got it. Yeah. You got it. It's it's funny. See, like th th this is one of those things where it's like maybe it's more revealing for me than anybody else. But like, see, if you're in Guy Gardner's mind frame, right? He thinks mm -hmm. Ice is hot, right? Well, what does he want Ice to do? He doesn't really <laughs> want her to be his girlfriend right now. He just wants right. to like hook up, right? And right. in his twisted mind, he's like, well, what's going to get a girl hotter than watching <laughs> some porn? Like, let's not go to like point A to B to C. Let's go to point A to Z right now. Right, right, and it's it's just like one of those things where yeah, it's totally ridiculous. Like 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 no normal dude would think that. But of course, this is a guy like that is in full libido, like machismo. Like I mean, they they just amp it up to eleven, you know, because of the 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 comedic context of the of the series you know so it's like basically any you know it's like that's why i say like i i'm amused by it because he's so unfiltered but i'm not uh how, how do i say it i'm not amused by it in the sense that i'm shocked by what he's saying like in fact i i feel like this may reflect on me badly but in some senses i think i have those moments where i'm like I know what he's talking about when he's talks he's talking about the thigh cheese. Like that's why it's funny to me. It's like I just don't say it out loud. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like yeah, that, it's that's like, like, it's like that old joke, you know, you know, it's like, honey, does this make my dress look does this make my ass look fat? And it's like, No, your ass makes your ass look fat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's like it's like he's the kind of guy who would just flat out say that in this context or whatever. And like and so that's I, I think that's where the, the you know, obviously that's where the humor lies and everything. And and I, I, I think there are, you know, uh you know, you can pick out certain moments and certain issues where, you know, they're obviously the the way he's characterized in, in Bo Smith's run of Warrior is is obviously more favorable because it's his own comic. He's the main character. He gets to sort of go through a certain amount of character growth like in some sense i mean I, I know mike was trying to compare him to u.s agent but i think in a lot of sense for a lot of people 
he's a lot like Wolverine in the sense that Wolverine started out as the jerk who was a crazy berserker. And to most people who hadn't read early issues of Green Lantern and only came to Guy as a member of the Justice League International, he was the kind of berserk, crazy, machismo, egomaniac jerk that was on the Justice League International. But as, say, Wolverine and Guy Gardner both got their own comics and then sort of moved forward from that point, I mean, it almost became to the point where Ice was a supporting character in Warrior, you know, where like, you know, Wolverine had, you know, supporting characters in, you know, Jean Grey and, you know, I'm trying to think like Storm and Jubilee and all these, you know, Psylocke, you know, these these people that, you know, and and it wasn't so much that they thought he was a jerk in some contexts. They actually look to him as, you know, a, a leader figure in, in some cases. So it's like Wolverine went from this crazy guy to a guy who was a well-respected, important, essential member of the team and even had to take on the responsibility of maybe holding the team together as a leader during like, you know, the, the fall of the mutants and things like that. And, and, and I, I don't know if it got quite as far as that with with Guy Gardner being like a leader type, but in the sense that he was uh, almost like a, a community leader, I think maybe that is true because he, he creates the bar. It's called warriors. Everybody goes there. It's like supposed to be this hangout where nobody can fight with each other. So like there's a lot of times in like green lantern comics, like when they make like squads to go like, you know, fight different things, they're like, you know, guy, you take these, these, this group, you know, you're the leader of these guys. Yeah. 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 That's true too. Yeah. Especially in like the green lantern core comics and things like that. And I mean, and what's funny too is, I mean, I think, I think they realized that, folks like you guys you know you and mike have that initial gut reaction of oh this guy's a real sleaze so what do they do they pair him up with kyle rayner who i'm sure both you guys probably have some affinity for and they become like this buddy cop movie and they're actually really good friends in a lot of the comics you know where it's like you think they wouldn't be you think they totally clash but they they sort of have a, a unique kind of camaraderie, you know? So it's like, you know, it's it, actually kind of funny. A yeah. lot of the Lanterns actually, I don't know if they like guy, but they, there, there's levels of respect. Even Hal and Alan Scott have a, a fondness for guy, I guess you would say. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and that, that comes from saying like one of my favorite comics is the comic where Batman one punches guy. I mean, everybody knows that it's like, you know, even if you haven't read one hit, one ton, hit, ton, tons of, yeah tons of of experience with the justice league i mean that's that's you know of course infamous right the one punch you know and so so like that, in that, that, sense, that leads directly into like why guy laughs his ass off when how one punches batman when he comes back to life right right and you know but but i i guess all i'm getting at is there's you know some some things come full circle but in, in the context of this it's like i can i can sort of appreciate both ends of it i can appreciate you know, people seeing him as kind of the ego maniacal, you know, machismo kind of jerk type guy. But I can also appreciate the fact that he had a lot of character growth under, you know, certain writers in the context of his own ongoing title. You know, the the, the only things that I sort of frown on is, is when a lot of that, whether it's Wolverine or Guy Gardner, you know, I, I always kind of frown on when they start to bicycle in reverse with stuff like that. It's like, you know, where, where you're like, well, didn't we just go through all this? Like, how did you get back to, 
you know, square zero. It's like, but this comic in and of itself, I'm kind of like, he's still, at least from my reading perspective, you know, it's like he's still in that phase at this point where he's, you know, he's in the early portions of his character arc, you know, so he's still got a long way to go from this point. Well, all I can say is in the current Green Lantern's book, like, Guy was training Jessica Cruz, and she got so frustrated with his BS, like, she punched him in the face. And I laughed at that. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing. Like, Guy is, is always going to be a very uh, uh, antagonistic kind of Green Lantern. And that's part of his willpower. He's, like, just so, you know, I mean, he really is passionate. He, he What he believes is what he believes. And... Can that be off-putting? Absolutely. Do I think Guy is a nice guy? <laughs> no no pun intended. In this uh, issue? No, he's being a total dickwad. I mean, don't get me wrong. I totally agree. But like Derek, I do find it funny because there's this part of him that doesn't understand why, like, doesn't even, not, not even understand, doesn't get why people, like, you know, think he's being an asshole. It's like, I'm not being an asshole. I'm just being real. He's yeah. he's oblivious. Like, he, he he has no context. He's He's oblivious or unconscious to how other people react to his shenanigans. And and I, he, I, I they all think that he's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and what's funny is though, you know, what's funny is I, I sort of want to take it back what I said because I couldn't think of a, a good leadership comparison for Guy Gardner, but actually I just thought of it. Like in the New 52, like he was the one who eventually leads all the Red Lanterns. Like he kicks the shit out of Atrocitus and he's the one in charge of them for a long time towards the, you know, towards the tail end of that that title you know, that was actually pretty good like, yeah. i did enjoy that to be honest yeah so, yeah, yeah. I, i'm just saying see there's different uh, I, I, yeah. I i guess i'm just saying there's different context to where you you come to the character so I, I i'm just kind of voicing even though we're looking at it from a very narrow focus like uh, i'm just kind of giving like the broader overview of like there there's other things he's done and they haven't all been sleazy and and skeezy <laughs> so that's that's all I, I will say I was surprised to see the Black Hand show up because he, you know, he is kind of this lame, weird Silver Age villain that Jeff Johns, you know, revitalized and made a huge threat. So like when, when he showed up, I was like, oh, like Black Hand, okay, this this should be interesting. And he's totally played for laughs. And he's, you know, like Tony said, his like his little ray gun or whatever doesn't work. It just fizzles out, and then he gets so mad he like. He shoots a guy, and the like bullet just goes through his hair. <laughs> like I, I, I was laughing at that. I thought that stuff was funny. That was like a moment where, like, I've seen that like happen before, like in stuff. Like, no, it kind of reminded me of like uh, in Buffy when, like, you know, that episode where Tara gets shot, where like Warren mm. like runs off, and then he comes back, and then like all of a sudden, like it since he's not using like you know magic anymore, he's just using a gun. So like it, it's it's like a serious situation all of a sudden, and. Yeah. Like it adds a, a a sort of sense of menace to it, but it, it was just played for laughs in this. So I was just like, "Oh, okay, good. Like nothing horrible is gonna happen." So yeah, yeah, guy didn't get shot in the back or anything. So, but yeah, I mean, I can understand like if you read this, you know, cold and don't understand like you know, like Derek said, the journey guy has been on through these uh, last two or three years where he was too much of a nice golly gee willikers, you know, snapper car kind of uh, character, and then he does turn into like just super asshole. It's like, oh man, he's off putting. I, I've always given Giffen and DiMatteis, especially as a team on this book, a lot of credit for doing things deliberately. You're not supposed to like Guy in this issue. You're you're totally not. You're supposed to be on ice and fireside, and you're supposed to be like, you know, 
man, what a dick. I'm like, and... I'm like, they totally failed. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like Derek, he is funny. He is hilarious. I, 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 everything he says is just, you know, again, as Derek said, so unfiltered, so just raw from his mind. This is how he sees things. And he's just going to tell you how he feels. And I think it's hilarious. And as far as like, you know, the Bwahaha's as what they call them in the, the, the gif and run this, this gave me the Bwahaha's. It made me laugh. And, you know, I, I like Guy Gardner. I can understand why some people are off putted by him and think he's kind of a dick, but uh, I don't know, man, every once in a while, man, you need, you need a dick to come in and just, just kick the crap out of someone. And then guys done that a couple of times. So, you know, I'm glad everybody read this and, and if you didn't enjoy fully, at least you gave reasons, and I have no problem with that. I understand, like you know, it may not be everybody's cup of tea. Yeah, I still, I still want you to check out that that issue of Red Lanterns where he he comes back to Earth, he reunites with Ice, you know, because he's been off planet for so long. Like, I think you might get a kick out of that as like a bookend, Tony. Cool. Yeah, I'd check that out. Justice League International, blah ha ha podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis will be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter. Batman. Dr. Fate. Black Canary. Fire. Ice. Maxwell Lord. Oberon. Captain Marvel. Rocket Red. Captain Adam. Mr. Miracle. Guy Gardner. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort. And many, many more. Justice League International. Blah ha podcast. Coming March 2016 as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? All right, so I, I think that kind of wraps up our discussion on Justice League of America issue number 28. So we are moving along down the the Valentine's Day superhero girlfriend romance train, and we are on the the caboose cabin almost. We're, we're coming up, but right before we get there, uh, we're going to be uh, checking in on the Justin car and Justin, tell us like what you, <laughs> what you brought and, and uh, what we're going to be discussing tonight. So I brought adventures of Superman number 532. It has a cover date of February, 1996. The story is titled troubled waters. It is written by Carl Kessel and illustrated by Stuart Immonen. Our story begins with the police calling Clark Kent, informing him a naked woman is asking for him. Clark quickly arrives and is startled to see his old flame mermaid extraordinaire, Lori Lamaris. Both are surprised to see the other is alive and well. Clark is further surprised to see Lori is up and walking on legs. Clark takes her back to Lois' apartment, and Lois is not happy. During their argument, they hear a thump. Lois checks on Lori and is startled to see she has reverted to her mermaid form. Lori informs Clark and Lois that upon returning to her home, Tritonus, the physician Ronald, used medicine as well as magic to help the injured Lori. Upon her recovery, she married Ronald, but his use of the magical black staff began to corrupt him. Ronald went mad and using the black staff blasted Lori. The effect resulted in her legs developing. 
Lori further informs them Ronald is missing. The gang go to fetch the staff on display in Metropolis, only to be confronted by Ronald. Superman battles Ronald, as well as a giant octopus he has summoned. Eventually, Superman uses the diamond ring from Lois' engagement ring to shatter the black staff. Ronald turns to stone. Superman manages to recover the diamond for Lois and takes Lori back to the apartment, leaving a somewhat befuddled Lois to ponder her relationship with Clark and his with Lori. So I bought this at uh, one of the local Piggly Wigglies. I, I bought this from the larger store, and I think maybe I told you guys, the larger store had this huge line of book racks, and it also had like a great deal of DC comics. Like this is where I read or, you know, Bernstall like Batman comics, specifically Catwoman. They also had like most of the Superman titles and I would also get stuff like, you know, like the Kyle Rayner Green Lantern run and all kinds of stuff. And I was buying most of the Superman books around this time. And I bought this one, you know, I, I was I would have bought it anyway just because I liked reading Superman, but I was always kind of fascinated by Laurie Lamar. It's like this is a character I had heard a lot about and I remember seeing old Superman comics in my uncle's collection and I was just like, wait, whoa, hold the phone a minute. Like, you mean Superman like at some point in his life was in love with a mermaid? Like that that just seemed to me like just yet another like totally wacky, you know, Silver Age story, you know, like Jimmy Turtle Boy or Superman Becomes a Lion or a, an ant or, or whatever. I just I was like couldn't wrap my head around Superman being being with a mermaid. So that's one of the reasons I picked this up. I was like, oh, this this should be interesting, and maybe I'll get some background on this character and like her relationship and everything. And I did. I have since then, like I've read that original story, like her first appearance, and I've read the John Byrne version, which, you know, I think maybe Derek would agree. Like Byrne pretty much copied the whole thing straight up. But it's basically the same thing with di you know, different art. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd agree with that. I mean, I it's one of my favorite stories, but but yeah, that is completely yeah. true. Like he 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 does one of his typical burn homages where the the I mean, for the most part, it's it's very much like the Silver Age story, just with with burn, you know, cool art basically. You know, you guys know me. Like I I've always been fascinated by anything related to the ocean, whether it's oceanography shipwrecks naval battles atlantis or, you know anything like i've always been interested in that and that's probably one of the reasons i was so curious about laurie lamaris and as for like the fictional dc side of it i was always kind of confused by the fact that aquaman came from atlantis but there were still mermaids but the mermaids were not from atlantis like i remember that always confused me until like i eventually read you know, some of the Peter David material, like his Atlantis Chronicles, where they basically spell out like all those differences. Like until I read that, I was always confused about, you know, why are there mermaids underwater and why are there people like Aquaman underwater? Like that always confused me. I'm kind of curious, like what your guys thoughts are on this. Like I know Derek has read this, but, you know, what, what did you think of this, Mike? I, I knew I, I kind of had the same reaction to you once I learned about Laurie Lamaris, where I was like, yeah, like, wait, 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 wait. Like, I, I think I probably saw it on like Super Dickery, like like at first, like, like wait, Superman was in love with a mermaid at some <laughs> point. Like, well, whatever. Like, 
I'm sure that's something like Zack Snyder will put in like the next movie or something. But I'm like, uh, dude, no. they they so totally missed out. They should have had a Laurie Lamaris episode on Smallville. Like this was this was Laurie Lamaris yeah, was like Taylor right? Taylor written for Smallville. Yeah, and I'm they surprised. Didn't, I actually didn't do it. I looked that up because I was like, did she ever? She must have shown up on Smallville, and I was nope. like, really? Not nope. in like ten I, seasons. I was like, I wow. was like ten seasons. I was praying for Lori Morris to show up. You know what's funny, Lori? Like, like she, she could have done a whole season. I think that'd been fine. I would have watched that. I mean, I you know, you guys know me. I was never crazy about Smallville, but like, if if she had shown up or there was like a season devoted to her, like I would have watched that like in a, in a flash. It, it's funny because like hearing you guys kind of go into like how how weird. Lori Lamaris is it's like it sort of reminds me of like that's that's like a touchstone for like a lot of like I you know when I listen to like a lot of these other guys podcasting you know guys will talk about their wives kind of going wait what Superman dated a mermaid and like to to people that are into it like to me it's like that moment me and you Justin had with bat cow or I'm just like you're like who's that cow in the bat cave like what's up with that like that doesn't make any sense to me and I'm like it's bad cow you know like i just bad say cow, it like yeah. it's just a matter of fact where to me Lori, like Lori lamaris and back are just matter of fact like they they just are like I, I i i can't even remember a time where i was like what like like that th- that was like e- even though i make fun of it all the time with like stuff like blue cupcakes you know like where things are weird for the sake of being weird like i i've never thought of bat cow and Lori lamaris as as blue cupcakey because they they just are but i get why like do you know like i sort of get why my barometer is way way off as far as that goes but that's well i mean i agree though because like when i was growing up i had a a huge for some reason i was a big fan of marvel universe handbooks and dc who's who and laurie lamaris was in one of those and DC Who's Who had very comprehensive biographies for all these characters. And I read it, you know, and it was when I was young. And, you know, my mind was, you know, young and I was able to take it in. So I was like, yeah, that's that's Clark's college sweetheart. You know, they went out for a little bit and he met her in college. She's a fish. And I hate to say this, but, you know, it's kind of funny that her being half fish and that she was the one who got away. Thank you. I'll be here all night. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. I, I did enjoy this issue though, Justin. But I had not read the actual Lamaris issues that the Who's Who had talked about, and god damn, she is so likable. She is like, she has this innocence to her, but not naive. She's not stupid, but she's just a, a good soul. And even Lois is like, fuck, I can't even hate her. You know, it's like she's just so nice and such a giving person. And and Ronald is like a Ronald. It's such a dick bag, you know. I was like, "Oh, why'd you end up with him?" I was like, "Okay, he saved your life," but man, he's a dick. I, I think, I think maybe because I, I read too much Superman, like I think I actually call him Ronal, you know. But that's that's just me. That's what I called him. I thought it was Ronal. Yeah, I thought that was, that was how I read it. Kind of like what's that fucking idiot's name from Hawkman? <laughs> the guy with the bug eyes. Oh, Kanjar Ro. Yeah, I would say Kanjar Ro. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, he's not important. One of the things I really liked was that there was that scene where Clark's doing the whole like diamond thing. And it's like Lori's talking to Ronald in her head, you know, and Lois is talking to Superman, but they're not really, you know, talking to each other. They're like, you know, expressing their thoughts. But each one of them is like, you know, I've got to throw this 
why like like i've got to throw this away you threw everything away ronald it's like well i can end this right now if i throw this diamond like they did like this kind of cool thing where every sentence led to another sentence from the different characters i thought that was really clever yeah i really like that bit at the finale where superman defeats him by using lois engagement ring like that has to go into like her whole you know thought process at the end you know where she's kind of like questioning her relationship with clark she's questioning clark's relationship with laurie and you know it probably doesn't help that he basically used her engagement ring as a weapon i thought that was kind of interesting and he also got alpha centauri on being there kind of being like you know hey you want to fuck i'm not saying we got to fuck but i mean hey you want to fuck <laughs> i'm not familiar with alpha centauri on he seems kind of like a douche there there is something i wanted to ask derek if you look at the cover for this issue under the superman shield you know there's like a little triangle that says 1996 and there's an eight below yeah, that yeah. like what does that eight mean it, it means because what it, it it's the era they generally refer to as the is the, this like post the resurrection well yeah because he's got the long hair but it, it's what they basically refer to as the triangle era so like the, oh. the way they would keep tabs like superman had i think four or five titles when this was coming out so you mm -hmm. you had Adventures of Superman, 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 Man of Steel, Action Comics, and then eventually, I, I don't know if it was out by this point or not, but I think it was Superman, Man of Tomorrow. And before that, you had those other four books. So even back as far as the death of Superman, it was the Triangle era. And what the, the reason why they would do that is if you were following Superman, the idea was you were picking up all four or five of these books. And so the eight is representative of like in other words superman issue i don't know whatever it is might be triangle 1996 number seven mm. do you know what okay. i mean so like you yeah it's 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 you're not renumbering all the the comics you know the individual titles but if you were actually actively following the Superman titles, like, you know, I guess uh, the easiest way to put it is if this was the death of Superman, you know, there'd be a triangle that had, you know, uh, one through six or one through eight or however many parts it was. And, you know, the, the initial part would be Man of Steel, you know, issue number 18 would be part one or whatever. Right. And, and, you know, I don't know, whatever the next one was, it was, uh, I don't know, Superman, you know, seventy four you know justice league 69 or what you know whatever it was right you'd you'd have the triangles and they'd all have those little numbers so it basically it was kind of giving people an extra clue is like if you really want to follow the next chapter of the story in chronological order you know from adventures of superman make sure you go pick up you know man of steel issue number you know whatever make sure you go pick up action comics issue number you know whatever and and continue reading it that way cuz they, they they were actually like super interconnected it's kind of like you know those gene colin batmans you were reading back in the day like the those ones it's like almost like you know how it was like it went from batman to detective and back to batman and it was almost like they were mm -hmm. sort of intertwined you like had to read both titles like the the triangle era is very much like that like you basically i mean you didn't have to read all the books but like if you right. were you know if you were into it like if you were reading superman at the time you you know you would pick up all four or five books and then you know if you were crazy you try to arrange them by the triangles but i, I don't know anybody who did that but 
you, you, you <laughs> may try to do that. You know, I don't know. I, I was going to ask a question for Justin since he picked this book, and also Derek, because he is probably the biggest Superman fan on the Fan Holes podcast. Obviously, Lori has an effect on Clark, but a lot of people all, all over the years always say, you know, like, you know, I see why it's so hard to write Superman. He's so powerful. You know, you can't write a good story with him. He's always so strong, blah, 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 blah. What do you do with God? You know, he's so strong. But this issue perfectly displays that. Like, Clark is almost kind of fumbly in this. He's just like, da, 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 Lori, you know, you're so, you know, you're back, you know. And he almost is like a, like, like a awkward teenager at points. You know, he can't believe this girl that he never thought he'd see again is back. He thought she was dead. Well, yeah. And I thought that was a really yeah, yeah sweet side to it. It it is. I sometimes I I I don't know how to feel about these particular issues because in in some sense, like you know how like to some people like Gwen Stacy is a sacred cow, and like anything that happened after Amazing Spider-Man, you know, one twenty one and that you know one twenty two is like you know almost like they want to stick their head in the sand over it and pretend it didn't happen. Pretty much, like it. it I don't want to necessarily make a one-to-one comparison between Gwen Stacy and Lori Lamaris, but Lori Lamaris, I mean, pretty much died in the crisis. Like, but I then, must say she died in a crisis with the nurse. Yeah, 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 and and like then it's like they they did the burn issue where by the end of it she was dead, and then they figured okay that's that's fine like that's where we're gonna leave it. But then I think I, I want to say like one of the Dan Jurgens issues was where they first like showed that she was still alive. And it was kind of like, not as, not as sweet as this, like, because it, it was almost like, I, I, I don't know if it was during the engagement or, or it might've been like a little bit after the engagement or something. But I mean, there, 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 you know, even in the burn issue, there, there's that weird period of like, cause Superman was really, like Clark really did love Lori, you know? So like there was a little kind of bitter kind of, you know, like basically like when he finally got her healed up, then she fell in love with some other guy, you know? So it was like, Oh, that's, that's cold Lori, you know, or whatever, like that, that kind of notion to it. And then on top of that, like if, if he thought she was dead and then she's not, then, then it's like, you could see why he'd be all like fumbly. It'd be like, you know, if you, if you can remember, you know, like maybe, you know, one of your first loves, like somehow magically like falling back into your life, you know, and then of course, you know, the, the, the stuff that complicates things in this is he's, you know, he's engaged to Lois Lane, you know, like, it's like, imagine you're engaged to, you know, the, the latest lady in your life and, and, you know, your, your kind of high school crush, like somehow stumbles back into your life. Like you'd probably be acting a little goofy too, no matter if you were, you know, you had the powers of the man of steel or not. Like that's something that, that I think speaks to what Tony is saying. Like people say, Oh, you can't relate to Superman. It's like, well, shut the fuck up. Like, what what do you mean? You can't relate to like an old flame coming back into your life and complicating things with your current fiance. I mean, I, I, you know, to me, I'm kind of like, that seems pretty damn relatable to me, you know, like, like to, to, to the average person and stuff like that. I, I, I mean, I think it might be worth talking about like the art in this particular issue too, because like Stuart of Monin, like he's great. And like, I, I think it's one of those things where like, he has a style that I always felt was like, unreplicatable if that makes any sense i mean i i suppose he's got similarities to guys like adam hughes like that have these really 
I don't know, kind of solid, clean lines and everything, and everybody it, looks... It kind of reminds me of Ron Lim, too, a little bit. Hmm, hmm, okay. A little bit. But, like, I, I, I just always thought, like, he was the kind of guy, like, if, if I... You know, you know how sometimes when you're, 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 I don't know, for, for me, when I drew, there were certain artists I liked and I tried to mimic them and copy them. But he was an artist I liked that I wouldn't even try to mimic because it was almost like hopeless. Like you'd try to mimic him and it'd end up looking like, you know, I don't know, Lori Lamaris would look like frickin' the Toxic Avenger or some shit because you just, you couldn't come close to, to the beauty that he, puts on his pencil i mean i will say like like justin's avatar that he's using right now i mean it is a it is a fucking comic book not a real person but that's like pinup quality like that is a beautiful picture that's a beautiful girl and she's half fish but you're still like damn she's hot something i wanted to bring up because i don't know if i'll ever have a chance to complain about this but i i'm still sad that we never got a Lori Lamaris action figure in the DCUC line. You know, you know what I kept thinking? Like, you know that, what's that Masters of the Universe figure? There was one called Mermista. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, w- like, I was Mermista, like, that, I just... yeah, that, that you could maybe sort of use as a custom base yeah. or something. Yeah. What did you think of Ronal being introduced as like, you know, kind of a brand new villain kind of out of nowhere? Was it okay since he was a one-off? Well, it's like he was an existing character. Like she was the guy. Yeah. She was, he, Ronal was the guy, he was the doctor that saved her life when Superman thought Loria was dying, and then she fell in love with him, married him. So they, it's, it's almost like, you know, you know how we always complain about the trope? That's the burn thing though, right? Yes, yes. But what, what I'm okay, saying is, you know how they, yeah, they okay. complain about the trope of, we, we complain about the trope of, you know, oh, so-and-so's turned evils. Like they, they kind of pulled that on. Ronal in a way, right? Yeah. He was he was not a bad guy. He was he was just the guy who sort of stole Lori Lamar's from Superman. Like, but he wasn't evil. He was just he was the nice, like, cute. You know, he was he was what's his face on what's that stupid uh, uh, medical show that Patrick Dempsey's on? Like, you know, he was oh, like, Grey's Anatomy. He, he, yeah, he was the Grey's Anatomy of of what Tritonus or whatever, you know, and he, he, he sort of wooed Ooh, McSwimmy. Yeah, yeah, McSwimmy. He sort of wooed away Laurie Lamaris from Superman. And Superman's like, what the fuck, bro? You know, and, and like that that was basically that. But he wasn't evils, you know, but in this it's it's like, oh, he since he kept using that staff and and, and I guess somehow that that corrupted him, like in this he clearly is evils you know and so like you know there is that aspect to it like like where you ask me what i think of it and that that's i i kind of have that underseated you know thought of like oh geez they they made some other guy who was uh, you know probably not you know i i don't know if he was an exemplary specimen of of morality or anything but he was he was he was a normal dude he was a good guy he was a good doctor he saved her life like he's following the the underwater hippocratic oath you know like so it's like he wasn't a bad guy and and then all of a sudden he's he's you know freaking you know on basically at least if you if you read laurie lamaris's dialogue it seems like he's basically now unrecoverable as as a good person you know and it's like oh well that you know that's too bad you know like that's all i can think about that he he contracted a deadly case of hate boner yes <laughs> he got the hate boner superman's like superman's like oh hi ronald i see you have hate boner now <laughs> lois uh-huh. can i use your ring hi yeah 
uh, one thing I want to know just for like my own uh, DC history, I wasn't really reading a lot of Superman after the uh, resurrection. I read pretty much the the death and the reign of Superman, and I kind of fell out of it. I think the last one I read was the arc with Parasite, and that was, I think, after this, where like Superman got all like blimpy and big. Who is Alpha Centurion? Derek, uh, you probably he's, know him better than anybody. he's like another rival for Superman. Like, I'm, I, I, if I recall correctly, uh, he probably started showing up a little after Zero Hour or something. But like, okay, I'm, you know, it's it's like one of those things, like the uh, the the what Wallace West in Flash storyline. It's like I'd probably have to uh, read up on it to figure out who the hell he really is. But like, I'm pretty sure he's like. He either turned out to be somebody or or he was just one of these weird like like he he kind of he's one of those guys like he's a rival for Superman where he shows up and it's like he's this supposed good Samaritan helping out Metropolis. But when all said and done, he's he turns out to be like a douchebag or something. Like, um, uh, like, what was what was Booster Gold's uh, alter ego? Nova what? Oh, Supernova? Yeah. Supernova, yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah sort of kind of like that, but I think worse than, than you know, not not like... Oh, yeah, because Booster was a good guy. Yeah, yeah Booster yeah. was a good guy. I mean, not not like just, you know, he was out to make a buck or something. I, I mean, like, I think he turned out to be, like, a bad guy or something, if I, if I recall correctly. He does kind of come off creepy at the end. He's just like, you know, you're such a beautiful woman. She's like, oh, you know, I still love Clark. You know, we're still together. I was like, oh, oh, no, no. But if you ever want to come to, like, you know, my ship or me go to your place and like have some wine and talk and have dinner. I'm like, dude, you're asking her out on a date. She just said, no, <laughs> he's a little pushy. Just a little, just saying. <laughs> yeah. He was like, it was zero hour. He was, it was like an alternate zero hour timeline where he was like the official hero of, of Metropolis. And so he was supposed to be like from ancient Rome and he got his powers from like another alien race or something like that. And, Let's see. I'm trying to think. Sometime later, the Alpha Centurion of our timeline showed up. He was the same guy, but like his counterpart, he operated out of Metropolis. There was some tension. Uh, he was put in charge of Team Luthor and uh, mm. remodeled the uh, the organization after himself. Um, he he joined. Uh, I guess Superboy, Supergirl, the Eradicator, and Steel to rescue Superman in that trial that you're talking about. Like you know how you fell out of Superman comics. Like eventually yeah. Superman gets put on trial when he gets all blimpy and shit like that. I think so. He joined okay. them. Like he was like part of the Superman kind of supporting cast. Um, they they thought maybe he might have been the cyborg Superman in disguise. Um, let's see. Blah 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 blah. He aided the hero's attempt to stop the Sun Eater. Um, what the fuck? What the hell happened to him eventually? I thought I thought he turned out to really be a bad guy, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, he might just fall off the face of the earth. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Wikipedia is useless. I don't I don't know what happened to him eventually, but I I could. That's, that's what I, I, I know because knew he wasn't useful. <laughs> yeah, I knew I knew I knew he came out of zero hour. I knew he was a rival for Superman. I, I I'm still convinced he turned out to be a bad guy, but I I don't see it immediately in front of me. So you just like edit it later, just be like he turned out to be a bad guy. <laughs> I I mean you know it's been a long time since I've read these comics. Like I I was reading this at the time. I think I think this was right or like this was a few months after because I think. I started going to Loyola Marymount and that was when I was trying to convince myself like, oh, you know, I, I and not that I was like 
I, I thought buying comics was going to be frowned upon, but it was like one of those things where like I was in a dorm room for the first time and I was just like, where am I going to put those comics? Like, you know, uh, like I, I, I was thinking of comics as things that I needed to buy when I was in a house, like not in a dorm room, you know? So like I sort of avoided buying comics out in LA for a while, but I think like after a few months I sort of caved in and started like finding where all the comic stores were. And I'd go to like, newsstands and stuff and see comics and be like, oh, I'll just pick up a few here and there. And before I knew it, you know, it was like issues of X-Men with Gambit and these issues of Adventures of Superman and like Salvador La Roca Ghost Riders. I mean, I, w I was just buying like whatever I wanted, you know, the Mark Wade Captain America, like that, that's the kind of stuff I was buying, like during this particular, or, or like all the, all the freaking, you know, blonde Ben Riley coffee shop freaking issues. Like that, that's what was all, <laughs> coming out around this time so yeah I'll, I'll, I'll say and like anybody else can give their like you know ending thoughts unlike Derek's story which was true love but creepy true love unlike my story which was asshole love I'll give you credit Justin this is probably the first one that we've done tonight that's actually sweet and you kind of got a little bit of the feels you know you you, you feel bad for Laurie and Clark's lost love and you're like oh so so good job on that this is this is this is a nice a nice sweet story I thought you were going to say this is the first one where somebody, like, assaults somebody with an engagement ring. <laughs> that too. <laughs> Fair enough. That is true. What? Have you ever read uh, a Superman comic? Not in the last few hours. Oh, I was just checking, right? Just checking. Hey, everyone. My name is Michael Bailey. I have been a fan of Superman for as long as I can remember. In 1987, I started collecting the Superman comics as a going concern, which led me down a long and winding comic book-filled path to 2007 when I first started podcasting. Well, it's 2017, and because it's been 10 years since I started podcasting, and 30 years since I started reading Superman full-time, I thought it might be fun to start a new show called... It all comes back to Superman. It all comes back to Superman will be my monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith, where I will pick out something about the Man of Steel and discuss it. Sometimes I'll be alone. Sometimes I'll have a guest. No matter how many people get involved, Superman will be the focus. It all comes back to Superman as part of the Fortress of Bailey Tube podcasting network. New episodes will drop on the 28th of every month. This show and all of the other programs that are part of the Fortress of Baileytude podcasting network can be found at www.fortressofbaileytude.com. All right, so I, I think we're 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 at the caboose. We are at Mike's particular issue, which is all the way in the far flung future of 2005, when the Autobots are on the moons of Cybertron and all that good stuff. So tell us <laughs> what you were what you were reading when. Jazz and Cliff Jumper were on Moonbase One. I picked Ultimate Spider-Man Annual number one, and yeah, as you said, it's 2000 October of 2005, written by Michael Brian Bendis or Brian Michael Bendis, whatever, and drawn by Mark Brooks. And just like a foreword, I guess. Like I, I was just I picked this issue like not only because I think it's kind of a like sweet issue, but like like I was almost gonna drop Ultimate Spider Man until I read this. So like this kind of kept me going until like the book. But basically, I I I just 
I would have dropped it if not for this annual. And then I just kept on until like ultimate Peter Parker died after this. So like that, that's probably why like this issue holds some kind of significance for me. And I did, I did, I bought it at a comic store more or less. So, I mean, cause it had long since passed the point where stuff was being like, you know, left on spinner racks or whatever. But yeah, I, I just felt like this was like a good example of like our theme for this week. Anyway, I wrote up my own summary for it because the, summaries i found online made me sad with their poor grammar and you know stuff like that so i actually had to like yeah it's like spider-man fight rhino then go on date the end i feel you i feel you brother oh so business did the write-ups okay cool exactly (laughs) the date did it happen was it good yes i think so good coffee yes let's go have some <laughs> That's actual dialogue. Yes, but anyway, yeah. Let me get through the summary because I, I I always try to make it short, but then I keep typing, and then it turns out to be long. So like, let me let me get through the summary, and yeah, we'll discuss this issue. Peter Parker, the Ultimate Spider-Man, is having a rough time of it. He's just broken up with Mary Jane Watson, and he's currently fighting a rampaging Rhino in the middle of New York City. The U.S. Army arrives just as Spider-Man manages to disable the Rhino's cybernetic armor. Rather than being grateful, an officer demands that Spider-Man come with them for questioning. Peter just swings away. Meanwhile, Kitty Pride, the ultimate Shadow Cat, is made to play the damsel in distress role for Nightcrawler and Colossus's Lord of the Rings role-playing. She gets frustrated and leaves, lamenting that she doesn't feel like she belongs at Xavier's school. Having just broken up with Bobby Drake, the ultimate Iceman, Kitty's felt increasingly isolated from her fellow X-Men and wonders how even Wolverine seems to fit in better than she does. In Midtown High's cafeteria, Peter Parker sits alone eating his lunch and sulking. He knows it's for the best that he keeps his secret identity to himself and doesn't date Mary Jane to keep her safe, but that doesn't help him feel any better about himself and his lack of a social life. When he sees MJ enter the cafeteria and sit with another guy, Peter has to get up and leave. At the X-Mansion, Jean comforts Kitty over her breakup with Bobby and tells her she'll find someone else. The thought enters Kitty's head to give Peter Parker a call, which Jean advises against. As despite the X-Men having encountered Spider-Man before, they don't know him that well. Still, Kitty has always had a crush on him and insists on going through with it. At the Parker residence and on his computer, Peter fumes while reading a message board full of commentators criticizing Spider-Man's handling of the Rhino. The phone rings and he picks it up, only for Kitty to hang up immediately on the other end with Jean and Aurora hovering around her and razzing her for it. She tries again and Peter and her have an awkward conversation with Peter initially thinking she's calling because the X-Men need his help. But she eventually gets the message across that they'd li- she'd like to hang out with him for fun, which Peter is elated to hear. The two decide to meet after Peter gets out of school the next day. The next day, they do so and decide to go to the mall, where Kitty enjoys the modern marvel of corn dog on a stick in the food court. Peter and Kitty bond over the fact that their superhero lives mean that their social lives are severely stunted. When ultimate Flash Thompson walks by and elbows Peter in the back, Kitty asks why his why he keeps that part of his life secret. Peter explains that what he does is too dangerous and he can't put his Aunt May in danger, nor be responsible for Mary Jane being targeted because of him. 
Kitty tells Peter about her breakup with Bobby and how she can't really avoid him because they live together. After Flash toss, tosses a salt shaker that lands right in Peter's food, like seriously, dude, what the fuck? The, the two depart the food court. Peter brings her to the roof where Kitty is delighted to learn that Peter recently punched Samuel motherfucking Jackson so hard his eye patch flew off. Kitty asks if Peter thinks he could date anyone with this situation, and Peter isn't sure. She ventures that if someone had superpowers and could protect themselves, then maybe it would be possible, but has a mini freakout at being so forward and momentarily phases through the roof to collect herself. She returns, and Peter assures her that it was a good point she made and he wasn't put off by it. The two are close to sharing a kiss when an explosion erupts. Peter changes to Spider-Man to go check it out and tells Kitty to wait on the roof for him, but she points out that she's a superhero too, and her phasing ability means she can protect herself. The two swing down to find the ultimate shocker, robbing a bank. Kitty phases through his vibro-shock gauntlets to disable them, and Spider-Man webs him up. At Kitty's prompting, the, gather the gathered crowd cheers for Spider-Man, and the two swing back up to the roof. They exchange some lines from Ultimate Raiders of the Lost Ark, whereupon the X-Jet <laughs> X decloaks in the sky above, signaling it is time for Kitty to return home. <laughs> two exchange numbers and emails, and both want to go on another date on the weekend. Before sh she leaves, the two share a kiss. Peter webs home, invigorated by this new potential relationship. He goes immediately to his computer to email Kitty and finds that she's already sent him one. The end. So yeah, like I, this is, I thought, you know, this was kind of like a, like, not only is it a sweet story, but like the ultimate universe was like constructed, you know, it seemed like to do like new stuff and like i've i was pretty like excited by this because i was kind of like you know finally like something like we can't get in the like 616 universe like some some kind of you know interaction or like setup that like seems new and interesting and like this is i felt this was getting back to what like the ultimate universe was supposed to be for so like i was really interested in like reading the book like uh, after this annual and like i said i had been getting a little like frustrated with the book before this so yeah but like i, I mean i've got other things to say but like like De like derek i know y you said you'd read this before right mm -hmm. yeah like I, and I know you're you're not like the biggest fan of ultimate spider-man or anything well but you, like, know, what did... you know it, it's funny because i think i i followed ultimate spider-man pretty faithfully from like I want to say like the first issue up until maybe the the mid 30s or something like right around the time when it tied into the video game ish or something you know like I don't know I think I think once it got to the Venom Blarg thing I had had enough because I was like okay they did the Hulk Goblin and they did the fucking yeah you know they, I was tired of all the Blarg monsters you know becoming Spider Man's you know official you know bad guys or whatever you know and so I think I think by that point I had had enough. So I wasn't following the book on a regular basis, but I, I again, I don't know how to explain this without disparaging myself, but I, I probably have an unhealthy obsession with Kitty Pride. Like, I really, 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 really like Kitty Pride. And I think at the time, too, there was a girl that I really liked who reminded me of Kitty Pride. So 
it, it, it kind of conflated with a lot of stuff like that. So I think I think during the the early two thousands, I think part of my passion with Kitty Pride was also sort of intermingled with my passion for this girl too. So it was like anything Kitty Pride related. Like I think at that point I was like into the whole Pride and Wisdom, you know, getting back issues of Excalibur where they were a thing and, you know, basically like kind of I, I was basically focusing on like Kitty Pride stuff at that point. And when this issue came out, even though I wasn't regularly picking up ultimate spider-man it, it like stood out like a sore thumb where i was just like you know not in a bad way but like oh holy crap like kind of like what you're saying like a teenage peter parker goes out with a teenage kitty pride like there, there's no way that that could have been done in the 616 universe so it was sort of immediately you know it was like this cool what if almost where you know and they could take their time with it and i think I agree with you. The story is very sweet, you know, and it's it's one of those things where you you feel like, you know, maybe some of these characters could get kind of a happy ending, even though it doesn't really seem like the ultimate universe went down that way. But like in this particular issue, you, you feel like, you know, oh, there there are there is, you know, there are those good nuggets that that people have and everything like that. And I mean, the only thing that I'd say now is, like I said, it's been like, I don't know, 12 years since I've read this, you know, because I read it when it first came out and probably never picked it up again after that. Like, it, this wasn't something that I, you know, read over and over and over again until the cover came off. This was like, you know, something I picked up in a stack of books in 2005 and probably never looked at again. And this is probably one of the few times I've I've revisited it. And the only thing I'm going to say in terms of criticism is... I, I sort of forgot, like, or or maybe I just didn't realize at the time, but I don't know. I, I don't like the art that much. Like, I feel like the guy's trying his best to give you, like, kind of like the Mark Bagley-looking Ultimate Spider-Man art, but it's just, it's not quite up to his standards. And so, His Spider-Man like, is okay, but his Peter sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, yeah. it, it's, it's, not, it's not quite the greatest and so like you know it, it just seems like a poor man's imitation of mark bagley rather than mark bagley and 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 maybe i would probably think better of this issue had had you know bagley still been doing the art at, it's almost the it's it's almost like a like a cartoony mark like bagley impression like i felt like it's a lot it's it's more loose than mark bagley would draw it like or i don't know like cartoony maybe but... i don't even know if he's doing mark bagley as much as he may be doing joe Maduria. yeah it's it's there's like a vague like anime like influence to it i feel like almost like the bigger eyes and weirder proportions and stuff but i don't know like i i was just gonna say like derek i think like every comic fan like falls in love with Kitty Pride at some point in their like comic reading career. Like, I think that's a like common thing for like everyone, but like, cause it, clearly, you know, like Bendis, like, well, like Bendis is Jewish, like Kitty Pride is Jewish. And like, so obviously there's that, like he paired him, uh, her and like his new car, his pet character up. And then you've got like later in the series, you know, you know, um, Flash's friend Kong. 
Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Who, who is basically supposed to be like a Bendis like stand in because he looks just like Bendis. Like he gets together with Kitty Pride like for a brief time. So I'm kind of like, yeah, I see what you did there, Bendis. Okay. <laughs> that's like, like that's like when people have those uncomfortable podcasts where they talk about how Terry Long, who was supposed to be ostensibly a stand in for Marv Wolfman, ends up marrying Donna Troy and everybody has like the 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 warm and ickies when they think about it or whatever you know it's it's not quite tantamount to that because i think what kong only dated her for like a little bit right yeah and it, that didn't end well either i think but there were there were there were some like parts like speaking of like bendis's like like being jewish and all that like he there'd be like parts in ultimate spider-man where like spider-man would say oi and then, like, 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 I'd, I'd be like, when did Spider-Man ever like? That seems like a weird thing for like Spider-Man to say. But then there's like later on a point where he says "oi," and he's like, and he, then he's like, he has a thought bubble or he has like a whatever a, a word bubble where he's kind of like, well, now I'm saying "oi," and I'm not even Jewish, like, like. So like, I always <laughs> thought that was kind of funny, but I, I was thinking like some of the you know you know how like he goes online and he's got people complaining about him for fighting the rhino on the message boards and stuff i feel like that's like the the you can see the initial formation or fermentation of like you know not only things like well yeah not only things like the internet but like the the whole meta textual commentary where you've got like you know jeff johns and superboy prime standing in for like you know yelling at you know online critics you know where this is like bendis standing in as as ultimate peter parker for like online critics you know where it's like i'm not fat don't call me a fat so you know like that kind of thing where it's like you, you can already you can already see it it's like it's like there i i would think if you're a creator and you get lambasted online eventually you can't help yourself like you have to insert some of that in and maybe fight back or whatever but i i do think it kind of it's one of those things where maybe you know not 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 that i think this is going to be like a fondly remembered classic in the hollows of time like you you know you said it's it's a sweet story we get it like you know it's it definitely fits within this theme like you you do get like the the warm and fuzzies you know when they have their first kiss when they especially when they have that first phone call you know the the sort of how you know it's that that teenage thing of it's awkward and then it's really awkward and then all of a sudden they both realize like there's no reason for it to be awkward like they're both into each other and this phone call is a good thing and then you kind of have like the warm and fuzzies about it where you're like oh i remember those those times where you were like so deathly nervous and 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 like, oh, I hope this girl likes me and all this other stuff. And, and that sense of relief when the answer turned out to be yes. Do you know what I mean? Like where it's like, oh, cool. Like Peter's into me. Okay. Oh, cool. Kitty. Kitty was calling me for a date. Like, that's pretty cool. You know, like, so like those moments I think are are really great as far as the writing goes. I mean, it, it, it did remind me of what I liked about Bendis's writing in the first place, you know, like what drew me to him initially. And I, I, I'll still hold true to this. I think he's fine writing singular characters even if even if kitty pride and peter parker holding a conversation is just bendis holding a conversation where he loves himself like that's better (laughs) than when he writes a team book and everybody is bendis you know what i mean like so so like i i appreciate these in, in terms of that and and again you know even though it's an annual and it's what is it like 48 pages or something it's still a 
a lightning yeah, quick, it's it's a lightning yeah. quick read you know per bed i, I had to know? look yeah because i was like was this a normal like length comic and i was like oh wait no it's it's, a, it's an annual length but it's just bendis so it still reads at the same pace yeah right right yeah but but yeah i mean i i remember picking this up off the the, the comic stands you know from i probably bought this at the overland comic shop in culver city given the year and and i think it was you know something i probably enjoyed at the time and and i think i enjoyed it this time but just i think i was a little more either critical of the art and then also you know looking back on it in retrospect there are things that definitely date it you know like the the yahoo and the emails and the you know i don't know like i mean not that any of that stuff doesn't happen now but I I don't know. It, it just feels like kind of like one of those things where everybody was learning that stuff, and it's like, ooh, new yeah. stuff. Yeah, let's. They're not. Let's... They're not texting on iPhones with emojis and shit. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, he was. I I, I yeah. thought it was. I thought I did notice this time. I thought it was funny that he his browser was Firefox, and like I still use Firefox, so I'm like, okay, well, I don't yeah. feel like I I don't feel too dated. Like, yeah. <laughs> use Firefox is good. Shut up. Yeah. Can... Can I ask you guys something? Like, did you quickly or immediately glom on to the Ultimate Universe? Because I didn't. I didn't. I re- I really didn't have a big love for it. At that, po- at that point, I had been out of comics for a while, and I heard what they were doing. And I think one of the things I heard, I think Wizard was still going pretty good then, and they were like, Wolverine threw Scott down a hole and fucked Jean Grey. And I'm like, okay, I'm out. Fuck that. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I kind of, I kind of quickly, I mean, I, I think I've talked about this before, but like, I, I, I read like maybe one or two issues of Ultimate X Men. And I, I remember picking up this one issue where like Wolverine was in an Edmantium cage and they launched like Scud missiles at him and like, somehow it opened the Edmantium cage but didn't hurt Wolverine. And I was just kind of like, <laughs> Well, wait a minute. You had a missile that could blow up an Admantium cage, but yet Wolverine's fine in the cage. Like I don't know. It just it just made me pull my fucking hair out, and I was like, "Fuck this comic." And like I I think after I read that one, I I think it was like I read one and two and thought it was pretty bad, and then I think just on a on a you know on a lark, I think that one was like number eleven or you know some some number seven like some later issue, and I thought maybe I'd give it a second chance and then and then i I was like, okay, I can't do this like so like ultimate x men I was never into I think ultimate spider man i I was bothered by the Hulk goblin stuff, but thought it was well, you know, I enjoyed the Bendis speak and the well, you know, to me it was like, oh, it was probably the first time I read something that was written explicitly for the trade and, and like had and, and that. And Bagley was, still, Bagley was still on the book too, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. He was, that That was the beginning, you know, like he was on yeah. it and, and it was, it, you know, to be honest, I mean, other than the Hulk Goblin, I think it was pretty well done and I kept reading it and I think the the thing that made me really like it too was cuz i was obviously you know me with spider-man like i i think the character's been broken like since he fucking let venom you know i don't know have a truce with him or whatever like those kind of things like they're they're you know besides the fact that like the clone saga and chapter 1 and all that other crap you know like i, I think like, me and you pretty much felt at the same time probably, probably around total carnage was probably when we were done right 
I think I think if I really think about it, I was done way before that, even though I kept going for the longest time with, you know, Ben Riley with the frosted tips and the coffee bean and all that bullshit. I, I mean, I kept trying to stick it out, but I, I and mentally I was probably done with it, you know, five years earlier or whatever. But right. I, I guess my what my point was, was I think by the time I got to what was it like Ultimate Spider-Man 12 or 13, it's like he's he's fighting the kingpin and he does this clowning session on him. And it made me laugh like, he, you know, he started doing like yo mama jokes with the kingpin, like yo mama's so fat and like whatever he said to him. And I was genuinely amused and I hadn't laughed out loud at a Spider-Man joke in like the longest fucking time. And that made me like that those, to me those was, were was like, golden, you know, those were like really sick burns too. Yeah. Like, yeah. Those were like, yeah. I forgot. Like I, I even like, I can remember some of them. That's like how good they were. It's like, he says like, you're so fat. Like when you cut yourself, like marshmallow fluff. Like, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was like, really, it was uh, really oh, good yeah. shit. Yeah, like, like, when, it, when you when you back up, we can hear a beeping sound. Like, <laughs> like you sweat so much, you can go down the middle of a slip and slide in the Sahara Desert, and get all the way to the end. And it's like the the setup, like that's one of like Bendis's like greatest like scenes, like period in a comic book, like because the setup for it is so good, where he's about to have like this final like battle with the kingpin, and he's like, hold up, hold up, hold up, like you know, if I you know if I ever you know I told myself if I get you in a room like alone, I'd do this, like, and he takes note cards out of his pocket and he just starts reading these off. <laughs> 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 it's just so good, and he's like. Yeah. You just see, you see the kingpin like getting madder and madder in the uh, background. <laughs> okay, I kind of want to read that now. Yeah, that yeah. sounds funny. Yeah, yeah. it was that 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 was the kind of stuff for me that like I mean, like I said, I had totally disowned Ultimate X Men, and I I kind of hate like the Ultimates. <laughs> like I hate them with a passion. But Ultimate Spider Man, I think I thought was you know based on that the strength of that like that that kept me on the title for like another two years. And I'm not saying every issue was like that, but I, I think I, I definitely got a, a lot of sincere enjoyment out of that. And I think that's why I ended up reading like Bendis's run on daredevil. And I, I, I read some of his stuff like uh torso and um, uh, he did one about how he was like trying to write a screenplay in Hollywood. I'm trying to remember what the hell that was called, but I remember I bought that, and, you know, I, I bought Sam and Twitch, you know, like, I bought a lot of the stuff that, in Hellspawn, like, I bought a lot of the stuff that he had worked on just because of my enjoyment of, of his... Oh, I remember the one that he was trying to write a, 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 a screenplay for a, a, a movie. Yeah, it was called Jessica Jones. No. <laughs> no I'm kidding. No, there, there was a real, yeah, there was, I know, it, it I know. was like an autobiographical comic i think he might have actually done the art on it too or something I'm, I'm trying to remember what the hell that was called but fortune and glory a true hollywood comic book story i'm, I'm just being an asshole sorry I don't, well to, to answer justin's question though i think i was kind of a sucker for this stuff because mm. this like i quit reading comics about the time like the burn mackie reboot started on spider-man and like i quit for like a good like two years and what got me back into comics and you'll laugh but it's like the dreamwave transformers comics like i was like oh they're making transformers comics again well i gotta start buying comics again <laughs> and then like i i I'd go to 
the marshmallows. Yeah, and, and and I'd go to the comic store and I'd be like, well, now that I'm here, I might as well see what like you know what's going on. And you know, someone would say in the thing, hey, you know, this new Ultimate stuff is good. It's like they started over, and I'm like, really? Like 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 for real? And he was like, oh no, they still have like the regular comics, but like they made a whole new universe. And I'm like, well, yeah, like I'll give it a try. And I think like that year, I had to go on a lot of plane trips. So I ended up buying a ton of those like first Ultimates like trades, like Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate X-Men, Ultimates, like whatever else. And yeah, like I, I was like, oh, yeah, these are these are fun. And I think I probably like, you know, I was a total sucker for like Mark Millar's like shock jock. Like I was like, oh, my God, like you can't say this like in a comic or something. Like, and like, I'd read that stuff. And, you know, the first read is like, really like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? And then the second read, you're kind of like, uh, this wasn't really that good. Like, <laughs> but, but no, like ult- out, out of all of them though, like I think ultimate Spider-Man was the one I actually stuck with. And the one that like, yeah, I, I hung out like the longest for, and like, it was, it was not like, you know, obviously like a shock jock comic or anything like Bendis was a, you know, as much as we rag on him, I think he's a fairly skilled, like, comic book writer. Like, we just, I just don't like his style, basically. But He knows how to tell a story that, that a lot of people enjoy. Maybe not us, but he, he has yeah. fans. I mean, you know. And, and he's kind of, yeah, and I think he's kind of, like, burned out. Like, Derek would say, like, you know, once he started getting, like, Avengers and, like, you know, bigger and bigger projects, he started, his tropes and his style just got too overwhelming for me to enjoy too much anymore. But, yeah, I mean, like, I, I was, like, a this... Like I said, the Dreamwave Transformers comics and then like these Ultimate comics were probably like a, a me throwing a grappling hook back onto the comic book train <laughs> and getting back on basically. So, see, I I was always afraid the Ultimate universe was going to replace Six One Six. I don't know how I got that in my head if I read it in Wizard or I was about to say probably Wizard Justin because I got that idea too sometimes. Yeah. So I like was deathly afraid of those comics. I was like, well, if I buy them, it's going to be like supporting them and supporting them is going to be like saying, I want this to take over. So I didn't buy an ultimate comic until maybe 2005 or six. And I bought that first trade of ultimates just because I love the Avengers and I wanted to see what this version was all about. And I read it and I was just like, that was interesting, but it's not for me. I'm just not into this kind of slimy way you're looking at these characters, you know? And it's only like this year that I've actually went and read other Ultimate books. Like I've read the first 12 or 13 issues of Ultimate X-Men, and I thought it was okay. Like I I wasn't like, oh my god, I have to read the next issue. Like, what's going to happen? It wasn't like that. I was just like, well, that was okay. Just you know, as a alternate goof. Like, I I guess I kind of look at the whole thing as a giant what if universe or something. So like, I was never really keen on Ultimate Comics. So like this annual, like this was totally new to me. I did enjoy it, and I don't know. I kind of like the art in this. I do see it's really heavily influenced by Bagley. Maybe that's why I kind of like it, because I like Bagley. You know, like you guys said, it's it's a story you could never do in 616. You could never have Teen Peter and Teen Kitty Pride meet and go on a date, and it, like, makes sense continuity-wise. So, like, it was fun. 
the you know the bend to speak and everything like it didn't annoy me like it usually does you know like i totally agree with you guys when he's doing just you know a solo character it works way better yeah i i really enjoyed this i'm kind of glad mike picked it up because i've like i've read a lot of the ultimate spider-man when it was miles when he took over but i've not read but maybe one two three or four issues of like ultimate peter parker yeah like i i was I was really sad that this relationship didn't last. Like it only lasted for maybe a year and in, in like, you know, real time. And like, I, I was kind of sad because I thought they were a really sweet couple, but I think it was kind of, it was more like, like Peter gets over Kitty really fast because he's really like basically in love with Mary Jane. So like, he just kind of, you know, goes, gets back with Mary Jane, but Kitty, like up until the ultimate universe, like blew up, up or whatever she was like devastated like, for a while yeah Kit, kitty never got over peter like I think, really yeah it's it's kind of oh. like it's kind of like you know what like laurel lance said to oliver like when she died like an arrow where she was like you know i know i'm not the love of your life but you're the love of my life basically mm. so like kitty like never got over peter like she was like Bendis eventually they had Kitty leave the X-Men and Kitty became a member of like the ultimate Spider-Man cast for like a while, like after her and Peter had broken up. So she was like hanging around like all the time. And like Mary Jane was always like, you know, annoyed with that. Cause who's that? that <laughs> yeah, exactly. that, that was, that was during that whole amazing friends period. Right. Where like, wasn't, yeah. wasn't Iceman and, and yeah, what was and it? The human, human torch. Yeah. And Iceman. Human were, like, Aunt May and all that. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, you had Kitty hanging around, and then, yeah, it's like Liz Liz <laughs> Allen turned into Firestar, and then, like, they had, like, a whole little, like, team, like... I just, see, like, I just see, like, Kitty from this story just, like, pointing at Peter being like, I love him, and pointing at Bobby being like, I hate you. <laughs> yeah. I'm all this... This some, like, really sad stuff, like... <laughs> I, you've read this, Justin, because you said you read, like, the Miles, like, Morales issues, but, like, that one, like, I think it was, like, an annual or some kind of special issue where they they everyone gets together and like reminisces about like ultimate Peter Parker like after yeah. he died or whatever yeah. and like they ask like like they go around and they ask what do you think like Peter would be doing like like if he were still alive and like when they get to Kitty like she's just kind of quiet and she has like you see her thoughts but she doesn't say anything and it's like her and Peter getting married and like going on adventures together. Uh-huh. She just yeah, she just kind of says something unrelated, but it's like really like kind of sad for her. Like yeah, it's, I forgot about that. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I think I think the entire thing is kind of sad when you think about it, because like if you if you look at what happened in that uh, what what is Universe. it the ultimate what is it what was it called ultimate doom or like Loeb had all those guys like Wasp was getting eaten by the Blob and they yeah. had the tidal wave that like fucking wipes out New York and like they they did all this like horrible shit to those characters like like, like is it isn't like like the only surviving ultimates character miles morales isn't that it no that, no, no they, they've no, no, introduced no. a bunch in like no. x-men blue now that wasn't uh, okay that wasn't even like the real end of the ultimate universe like okay. after that yeah. shit okay. like it went on for a couple more years after that and then secret wars is what like totally eliminated it basically but 
I don't know. There's one like there's one like happy like even though Ultimate Kitty Pride probably got her, yeah I think is probably erased now thanks to like yeah Secret Wars she got like a, I guess a little bit of a happy ending in some Ultimate X Men annual where there was like an alternate future and like in the alternate future of course every all the mutants and superhumans are like rounded up in camps and she's like a resistance fighter and she's using web shooters in it. And like everyone, like, you know, he's like, oh, why are you using those web shooters? And she's like, I'm just borrowing them. And like at the end of the annual, like they liberate some like concentration camp and like ultimate Peter Parker's there. And like she she and him like hug. And it's like it's clear they're a couple like in this future or whatever. And she like gives him back the web shooters. So like that's kind of sweet. But like other than that, like. Oh, yeah. I'm old. You're making me get the feels. Shut up. Yeah. I cry, I like commercials. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it's my turn. First of all, to, to combat the feels, I will say what I hate about this, the first things. The art did kind of suck for me. Sorry, Justin. Uh, Mike said he was kind of on the fence. Derek, not a fan. So the art, it's not terrible. I mean, it's better than I can do, but it, it was kind of not good for me. There were especially some panels where I was like, ugh, ugh, ugh. Civil War, guys. Civil War. Me and Tony were sending you the the negative zone (laughs) (laughs) oh (laughs) the lines have been drawn here well me and justin are gonna like release the virus that lets everyone out of the negative negative zone prison so (laughs) haha hey we have have power (laughs) magic and assholes on our sides we've got we've got we've got typeface on our side (laughs) i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna blow a hole in your ultimate spider-man collection (laughs) (laughs) Are you going to use Cloney? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Uh, second of all, I know this is not just a Bendis thing and also, like, just, you know, art direction, but fucking God, can we quit with the goddamn splash page, like, dialogue pages? Can I just get one page where I can read them? Because I have to zoom in and then go across and fuck that shit. It's just annoying. I'm sorry. And then finally, I don't know if you listeners know this, but we uh, often talk about Marvel Legends that we want in the future and like, Oh, all these cool designs, like all these characters we don't have. I don't want ultimate shocker. Fuck him. Uh, as I, I think Mike coined this or I don't know, maybe not like maybe it was one of my old buddies named Mike, but I was like, I, I think we always used to call him the Fonzie shocker, the ultimate shocker. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what he is, but wow. His whole, his whole like character in this issue, at least is just like, I gotta get out of here. I gotta get out of here. I gotta get out of here. I'm just like, all right, Herman, shut up. <laughs> on to positive things. On to positive things. This is a really sweet story. Kitty Pride is fucking adorable. She feels outcast. And unlike Peter, who goes to a school that he has no choice to go to because he's in public school, Kitty is going to a school that's supposed to be a family. It's supposed to be like, you know, mutants, you know, who like ostracize, but they're supposed to be together. And she feels alone here. And especially because of Bobby, because of their relationship that ended sourly. I don't know a whole lot about that backstory, but obviously she thinks he's being a dick. And she didn't want him to go that didn't want it to go that way. And you feel bad for her. And you also feel bad for Peter. He's having a tough time with, you know, quote unquote public relations. And, you know, people think Spider-Man's an asshole and people at school think Spider-Man's useless. And he thinks he's making bad choices because he's trying to save people he cares about. But he's also like... I can't put them through this. And Kitty Pride is a really good touchstone for this because she can take care of herself. She's a badass. She's always been a badass in the X universe. One of the most competent female superheroes ever. 
And it's really cool that Peter sees that so quickly and they have that bond. And there were, there was a couple times, like I said, sometimes I'm an old softy, the way Kitty talks to Peter, she's so reassuring and so nice. It's like, it did kind of make me tear up a couple times. You know, we give Ben to shit, like we said earlier, but that interaction, you know, is like, there's a part of me that's like, oh man, this did happen in 616, like years ago. It can't happen now. Like all of you said, it's just, it's just a what if more or less the, the, the relationship I felt was very organic and it, it actually made sense. It was like, why wouldn't two people who have superpowers who are teenagers who feel alone, why wouldn't they get together? Especially if they kind of know each other and they want to know each other better. I'm like, like you, Mike, I would have loved to see this go on for more than a year. I mean, it, it was, I mean, you know, I hate to say it, you know, cause it sounds, you know, cheesy, but it was, it was really sweet. I really enjoyed it. That's, I think that's the common, like, you know, the common feeling to this. Like, I think, I think I, I have read reviews of this issue, like made by people who don't even like, like Ultimate Spider-Man. And they say, this is like a, you know, a real sweet issue about like, you know, first law, like sort of like new young love or whatever. And it, it you know, it's just Bendis doing a, a decent, this is Bendis before most of us were either burned out by him or maybe even he was like burned out. Like on <laughs> This stuff, is before so. New Avengers, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, he. I think he he was writing. New no, Avengers I think he was at yeah. this point, but like yeah. he he just started on that. So, but and then this, I, I was going to mention as a point of trivia. This this continues Kitty Pride. Any Kitty Pride's fetish for people or for dating guys named Peter. So. <laughs> yeah, Peter, Peter Wisdom, Peter Rasputin, and Peter Parker, and, and Peter, Peter Quill. Quill. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, is is Kitty with uh, fucking Star Lord now? Uh, she, she almost was. married him, but yeah. not anymore. They didn't. They didn't really explain very well why they're not together anymore. At least to my satisfaction. But mm. I did not know that. Now I want to read that. That sounds pretty cool too. Damn, Kitty, what's you? What? <laughs> okay, again, I did the other earlier joke. I guess Kitty just likes the Peter. <laughs> 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 Uh, all right we're going out on that if you guys have any comments questions and or concerns if you think guy gardner is a hell of a citizen and you think justin and mike are duty heads you can email us at panelspodcast at gmail.com if you want to reach us on various social media, you can do it on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. We like all the appreciation, the feedback, the likes, the notes, the tweets, the retweets, all that good stuff. We can be streamed on Stitcher Radio. We're on iTunes. All feedback and reviews are welcome. If you've enjoyed listening to comics, motherfucker, do you read them? We have various other Fanhole spinoff shows. There's the Fanhole's Proper Podcast. We've got Transformers Tuesdays, Mobile Suit Mondays, Sentai Saturdays. We've got Big in Japan, where we talk about anime. We also have the Thunderbolts podcast, Justice Not Entirely Like Lightning, so we've got all those cool things, Toku Thursdays, whatever I forgot, and yeah, so so if you like listening to this, check those other ones out, and until the next time, and happy Valentine's Day, everybody, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. <laughs> <laughs>
It's Mike ultimately signing off. This is Justin reminding you to help control the pet population. Have your Tony spayed or neutered. <laughs> and this is Tony, and I just want to say, I just want to know what love is. I hope I can show her. I better read between the lines in case I need it when I'm older. say i'd like to say before we get started like even if some are not as good as others and we'll we'll find out which ones um i think all the comics were really good this week i i can't agree with that i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm not uh, which one did i not like and tune in later to find out <laughs> i i uh, let me put it this way justin i won't be upset if you did not like mine you, you know you know what's weird it's like i've read yours before but and you know I love those characters, but I'm just not a fan of that miniseries. Well, I I think well we'll get into it, but I think it speaks great lengths that this is yeah. for me. This is a quote unquote spinner rack comic per se. Like I didn't get it at a comic store, and like I, you know, I've never I've read this issue. Like that's the only issue I've ever read of that miniseries. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. like basically, it yeah. didn't, it didn't, you know, sort of entice me to seek out other stuff. Like, like I, I feel like I'm, I go into two funny stories with it, but it's like I feel like my first exposures to like Marvel women, like whether it's like the Scarlet Witch or Tigra, was I was kind of like, what's wrong with these chicks like they scare me <laughs> you know and i never like really you know i was like it, i i don't know how to explain it but it's like when you're like five years old and you see like tiger in a comic book you're just like something's wrong here like this doesn't seem quite right you know like like the, these these chicks are scary you know like that that was kind of my attitude you know and i kind of felt the same way about the scarlet witch you know I, I just I just like it's like I am with child. This is the perfect time to do a pagan ritual like right, whatever. Right, like it's right. summon a hell dimension or right, whatever. Exactly. Where's my sword? <laughs> the vision's like Wanda. 